0: Love Talk Radio Welcome to Beach
1: State Pandemonium A production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network Where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be With conversations from those who paved the way And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium
2: Good evening and welcome to State Pandemonium for Thursday, April 4th, 2019. This is Michael Norris along with Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons. Uh, How are you guys doing this evening?
1: I'm doing good.
3: Me too, no complaints, gentlemen. I'm I'm on the right side of the dirt and everything seems to be well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just wish the weather would make up its mind. You know, it's going to be 80 this weekend. Yeah, that's what I heard. Going down to 45 tonight, and then going to be 80 this weekend. I can't
0: believe it.
3: I was doing some uh, some pre-planning for our for my my Las Vegas trip coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, we kind of make a vacation out of it and take an extra week and look around. And we're going uh, we're going up by uh, our plans are to go out by Mount Rushmore and uh, into uh, Yellowstone and out that part of the country before we go down to Vegas and I looked at the weather report long range and it's still slowing up there some days so I don't know if uh, it'll work out as we plan or not we'll have to play it by ear
1: yeah you can't ever tell about it that way
3: we were we're kind of our plans are going to take us through out by where a little bighorn there right in the corner of Montana and then down and uh and it uh, all the all the websites I looked at said said roads closed due to weather on certain days. So it'd be my luck I'll drive out there and can't see it because of the weather.
1: But if you, if you go into the Little Big Horn, uh, if you see Custer, ask him how did it work out for him.
3: I'll do it. I'll do it. i <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, think it was too good. I'll tell you two things we're doing, Jerry, and I know I know it's 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 crazy. I mean, except for me, I guess. When I was a kid, my favorite cartoon was Popeye. And uh it was created by some guy, named, I don't even know his first name, but his last name was Chester. And there's a little town in southern Illinois called Chester, Illinois. And we're going to go through there. That's actually the first place we're heading to. And uh they have a they have statues on every corner. Of all the characters from the Popeye cartoons, and I'm as excited about going to see that as I am anything. Just, just
1: yeah, I've just never seeing. heard of that or seen that.
3: Yeah, and it, it's uh, and then from there, just from from there, there about a hundred miles. I think it said it was 99. There's a little town called Metropolis, Illinois, and they've got a 15 foot tall, full color statue of Superman.
1: Brilliant. Really?
3: So we're gonna swing through there and see that. I just, you know. I mean, we went—you know—you you went all over this country, and probably saw very little of it because we were exactly. always in and out, or on the road, or doing something. And then the days we had off, the last thing we want to do was go sightseeing. So the last three—this you know, will be my third year—we drove out to Vegas, and we went a different route every year. And I've got to see some things that just—just—I uh, mean, I'm having a ball. I love it. I said I'd do it one time, and I had so much fun. We've done it every year since.
1: Well, there's a lot in this country to see that people, you know, they they want to go overseas and and seen a third of the stuff here.
3: I want to go to New England. I want to go up the coast of Maine where the lighthouses are, that sort of stuff. You know, that's never got to that part of the world.
2: Oh, well, maybe before I. That's another place you have to watch the weather up there. I I was lucky I was always up in the northeast during the uh, summertime. With the thinking being that it would be cooler. Well, in July on Long Island, it's 105 degrees normally. That's, that's not that standard there.
0: It's unbelievable.
2: Uh, but... Before
1: yeah, it, we get it, our, uh, our guest tonight, uh, go ahead, Jerry. I'm sorry. No, I was I just say I was going to say uh, I was thinking about. Uh, you know, I, I gave Terry Funk a call Monday, gave him my condolences. And we talked a pretty good while. and he just, I said, how was he doing? He just said, it's tough. I said, I, I can oh, only imagine. I, I can only imagine.
3: I feel for him.
1: Yeah, if it's tough for Terry, it's got to be tough. Yeah,
3: it's... it's uh, uh, I hope you never experience it, my friend. It's, uh, you just... Uh, <clears throat> You just, I don't know. You just have to keep going, but there's days you sure uh, don't want to. It's, it's
1: just, I know that's right.
3: Uh, that and I mentioned Larry Cheatham's family too. Remember Larry? Larry battled cancer for three years, and he, he, uh, me and Jim Powell went up to see him, and Gene Bennett went up about five weeks ago to see him. And when we left there that day, I made the comment. I said, if we we're going to, because he had he had told me for three years if anything happened to him, me and Jim Powell was to do his service. And I told Jim when we left that day, I said, If he makes it to the weekend without us getting a call, I'm gonna be surprised and he made it another four and a half weeks. He just he fought and fought and fought. But uh
1: I, I didn't he, know he had had that. He uh he well
3: he didn't he didn't talk about it much. He just uh he was so he was so worried about his family. You know, Larry uh Larry's first marriage he had he well he had three grown kids from his first marriage. But him and his wife that he has that they couldn't have kids, so they adopted, and he has six children, and they ran, they're teenagers. I guess they're all teenagers now, but they all have some form of a disability. One's in a wheelchair; uh, others have other problems, and they, uh, they that, that that was his. He just he. That's all he talked about was his family. And, well, that, uh,
1: he's a special person to do. Yes, he in. was.
3: Yes, he was. And his wife, God love her heart. In in the home when we were there to visit, they had turned their garage. They had enclosed it and made a huge room out of it. There was going to be a family room. Well, she had turned that into their, into their hospital room. She had him in one bed, and over in the other corner had her mother, who has Alzheimer's plus a touch of dementia. They were both under hospice care, and she was taking care of both of them, plus all those boys. So just... Uh, my heart goes out to him, but uh,
1: yeah, I told her the other day.
3: That's, that's I said, "If there's medals given out, honey, you're due one."
1: That's those special people.
3: So, uh, just want to remember his family. Does anybody else, Michael, we can be depressed about it? Or we got a. We, I can't.
2: No, I think that's it. Uh, the the Braves have won the last two nights, so I'm not depressed about that. The Hawks won last night, so I'm not depressed about that. So, well, I've got uh, it
3: on here with the mute on. It looks like the defense has showed up a tonight for both teams. So.
2: Yeah, I was going to say I'm a, I'm an inning behind because I forgot it started and I turned it on at seven thirty and and. Even when you go to live T V when you're streaming, it starts the program from the beginning. It doesn't catch up to where it where it actually is. So I'm an inning behind. But you it looks like it just ended the bottom of the second, the inning from what I what I'm seeing. But uh, wow. uh we're gonna be joined tonight uh, by uh our, our guest, uh John Cosper, but before he hasn't called in yet, so uh got uh, our our correspondent from the uh, from the, the dark woods of Alabama, I'm going to
4: get Dennis Mitchell on with us real quick.
2: Dennis, you with us?
4: Yes, sir. How y'all doing? It's been a couple months. Hope y'all doing good tonight. Doing well, doing well. Well, good. good. Well. Real good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. i, I saw I'll start to hear what happened to Terry Funk's wife. I read it on Monday on the rest of the observer. Now, was she sick for a while, or did it happen all of a sudden?
1: No, she's been sick.
4: You know, I don't know. Oh,
1: yeah. You know, she's I been have sick been been I've, I've,
4: what
2: little bit I've read about it, how how long were they married, Jerry? Do you know?
1: Fifty-four years.
2: I was thinking right. she was she was his only wife. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah. And she was yeah, a, she was a cheerleader you. at West Texas and graduated from West Texas. And so they've been together a
4: long time. Yeah, sorry to hear about that. Mm-hmm. Well, well guys, I I tell you, I was going to ask y'all is, is, I'm sure Bobby had a good time in Vegas. Did you see any wrestlers out there you never got to see before out there?
3: Hadn't been yet. We'll be leaving. We'll be out there the last two days of April the first day of May, or the last day of April the first two days of May. It's right at the end of the month.
4: Yeah. Jumped the gun a little bit. I thought y'all might have went. This week, <laughs> week. it's a little before. later this year. We're
3: going, uh, yeah. We're so we're leaving. We're actually going to drive out again. I'm leaving here Easter Sunday, heading out that
4: way. Yeah, well, guys, one other thing. I'm a big Troy and Alabama fan in my lifetime. I never thought I would see Auburn make it to the final four in basketball. <laughs> I'm, comp- <laughs> I can't comprehend that. It's
3: got the it's got the balance of the world tilted in Alabama right
4: now. I tell you, well, one good thing about the new coach at Alabama, basketball coach, at least he's got the same name as Jerry, but except he spells his last name O-A-T-S. Nate Oates is the new basketball coach at Alabama. Maybe they'll ride, ride the ship last the last few years. You never, you never
3: thought you'd see Alabama lose in the opening round of the NIT, either, did you?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I tell you. Norfolk State was one of the worst teams that was seated at NIT tournament. I'm I'm a pretty much an NIT guy in basketball, but Alabama didn't deserve being NIT the way they played, faded down the stretch last month and a half of the season, you know?
0: Yeah.
4: And I tell you, it's, it's amazing. You know, on Sports Talk Radio, all the Auburn fans are giddy about it, and <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I've seen a picture yeah, on Facebook of
3: Tumors Corner. They had it. They had it wallpapered with that toilet paper right after that last
4: game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to let y'all guys know too that the Troy AD Jerry McLean's leaving. He's going to be a new AD at Southern Miss. So Troy just hired a new coach a couple of months back. Now the AD is going to go back home to Mississippi to become AD now. Now Troy's going to have to start their search again. Hey Jerry, I was going to ask you too. I was wondering. Your son Bo, I was wondering when he got started in wrestling, Jerry. I know some parents handle things differently. How did you feel when you wanted to be a wrestler? Did you encourage him or discourage him?
1: He really, you know, I mean, I think he just wanted to do it to say he did it. I mean, he, he didn't want—he he, there was no way he wanted to make a career out of it. And I'm yeah. glad of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm real glad about that. And speaking of yeah. that, he's going up. He's going to Minneapolis see Auburn. Oh. He's a big Auburn fan. Yeah, he was in Kansas City last week, and he he's he's going up. Him and his son are going up uh, tomorrow.
4: Okay. okay, that's good. And and all that I tell you, I tell you, last month I enjoyed y'all's guest y'all had last month. George, he he's a Wrestling Power knows his stuff about wrestling in the Midwest and and some stuff I didn't know about and all that. So, well, guys, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to listen to the rest show, and hope you all have a good week, and take care. Thank you. Thanks, man. All
2: right, Dennis. Take care.
4: Good night. Hey, hey, Jerry, has he ever been to Minneapolis before?
1: No.
3: Tell him. him, I know this sounds crazy, but tell him to make sure he goes and sees that Mall of America.
1: Oh, I'm sure you Every, will.
3: Everybody should go at least once. When when my grandson had his has stem cell transplant up there, and we spent a couple of weeks up there at different times, it the place is, I mean, it's got an amusement park in the middle of it. That's how big it is. And I'm talking with a roller coaster and the whole, whole night. It's, it's amazing. It's like six, eight stories tall. You couldn't see it all in one day.
1: Isn't that something?
3: I mean, it's just amazing. And I didn't see anything cheap in any store I walked in.
1: Well, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> you mentioned well, I mean, uh,
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's, uh, you, they had a sports memorabilia shop, and I walked in there looking around. I wasn't in there long. So <laughs> just, uh, but it's, yeah, everybody needs to see that at least once.
2: Well, guys, our uh, our guest has has called in, so I'm going to get him on the line with us, uh, John Cosper, and I put on on the uh, the little thing when I did the blurb for the show that he's an author, but he is much more than that. Uh, John's an author, a playwright, an actor, a director, and uh, something you should know he, he, something called uh, drama ministry, Bob, Bobby, Bobby. You uh, you being a pastor, you know all about drama. Welcome, John Uh, First of all, am I saying your last name right, Cosper? Is that the proper pronunciation of it? That is correct, yes sir
5: Yep, that is the correct pronunciation of it
2: And I had no idea you had written as many books as you I knew about the Bluegrass Brawlers And I knew about the Louisville's greatest uh, show, and, of course, your latest one, the original Black Panther, The Life and Legacy of Jim Mitchell. But I didn't realize that you had written so many others, including David Schultz's uh, recent uh, book, that you helped him with that. Yes,
5: sir. Yeah, I've been been writing about wrestling for, I guess, guess it's been about six years since, since I started on Bluegrass Brawlers and going back. Um, actually, this this year it'll be 25 years since I started. You mentioned the drama ministry, righteous insanity. Be 25 years since I started that, and um, I did that. With, it actually, did close it down last year, and, and this this weekend meeting with a, with a former student of mine is going to pick it back up. But um, I did that 24 years and wrote thousands of you know skits for children's ministry and youth ministry and, and adults and. Uh, I had a touring company for a while And, and uh, I, I tell you, I could write a great book On how not to run a drama touring ministry That's, that's certainly for sure <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, it was about, about a little over six years ago I was at Penn Station with my wife at lunch And I told her, I was like, honey, I'm thinking about writing a non-fiction book She's like, what about? And yeah, I'd I'd, try, I'd written film and I'd, I'd written some science fiction and stuff and everything and, and all that all that stuff's still out there and, and I still enjoy writing it and everything but nothing's really taken off for me you know the, the ministry stuff and you know I was looking for for something different and fun I was like I'm thinking about writing a book about the history of wrestling in Louisville and my wife's not a wrestling fan but she was like oh go, go for it I'm like really she's like are you kidding me she's like you love this crap. She's like, and you're a great writer. She's like, there's a market <laughs> You for love this crap. Books. That you're sounds like
0: Dressed yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I have caught her enjoying enjoying uh, the likes of Ray Mysterio and CM Punk and Randy Orton for various reasons. She like she likes the way Ray works, and I think she liked the way Punk and, and Randy Orton look. So, but uh, wow. you know, she'll, she'll watch it with me every now and then. For the most part, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's that's all right. It's your thing. So. <laughs> So she she's been very gracious about letting me go out and you know make some road trips and you know, I got to go to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame last summer in Iowa and uh, headed to the Cauliflower Alley Club in a couple of weeks and uh, even took took a WrestleMania trip once and. Um, you know the the best lately is it's Madman Pondo's running these girl fight shows. He's been running them at midnight lately, which I mean they, I mean packed house, 250 people screaming their heads off at 1 a.m. You know for an all girls show. And and the great thing about it it is doesn't take any time away from the family. You know I'm a little tired the next day, but uh, I mean it's, I'll, I'll I'll take a midnight girl fight show over you know so, some of the bigger more expensive shows any day. that the action we get down there. So. But, uh,
2: You'll have to make your way to the uh, gimmick table where uh, they're selling the T-shirts and uh, say hello to one of my co-hosts here, Bobby Simmons. Uh, Bobby will be out Absolutely. there with Charlie Smith. They man man the the, uh, the gimmick table out there. But uh, I've been after Bobby for for years. He's a he's a pastor of uh, pastor of church. In fact, it's church I attend. But he could write a book just on the funerals he's been to or, or done. <laughs>
5: Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sure. So, and like you like you mentioned, there, there's always a lot of drama in church, and not necessarily the kind where somebody goes up does a little skip for the sermon. I would like I used to do. So. Oh, <laughs> um,
0: I've seen seen plenty
5: of it in, in, in all, all shapes and denominations. <laughs> um, I tell you, my favorite trip. Since this are around the subject, we we took it. It was me and uh, it was me and just one one friend of mine ended up the last two, you know, in, in this drama group. And we took, we drove 32 hours. They uh, a couple stops along the way. We went to Calgary, Alberta, Canada uh, to do a play on Easter Sunday. Um, I still kicked myself that we didn't get up earlier the morning. We actually made it into Calgary because the pastor was going to take us out and teach us curling. Uh, he's an avid curler.
0: Mm-hmm. But um,
5: the cool thing about that was they were like, hey, what do you guys want to see You're in Calgary? What do you want to see? You want to go see the Rockies? You want to go see the Saddledome? And Stu Hart had just passed away, and we said, we want to see the Hart House. So they took us, you know, to the Hart Mansion, which overlooks the city of Calgary, and it was empty. And um pastor's wife, you know, bless her heart, she had tried to – she had a realtor friend. She tried to get the key to, to get us inside so we could actually see inside, but we just got to peek in the windows and uh, take some pictures on the porch and everything. So that was, uh, that was, that was quite the trip. 32 years was one of your trips out in Oklahoma, years. Gary. <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, well, I, you know the thing that, uh, and looking at all that you've done as far as your writing and everything, and, and I know you became uh, you're a lot younger than all of us, so you you're a, a fan from the the '80s '90s period and, and current stuff. But uh, I, I'm glad to see you going back and and doing the. The history. Um I know some names that you probably came across doing your book on Louisville and we Willie Davis and uh Oh absolutely yeah yeah. Uh, Doug uh Doug Scoggins and or not Doug Scoggins, Doug uh
1: mm-hmm.
2: I can't think of his name. I was um starts with a K. Anyway Bob Kelly was uh was a friend of all of ours and
0: uh
2: he was um he grew up in Louisville got uh, got started there in Louisville. And uh, um, Doug Kinslow is the guy that I'm thinking of. Doug Kinslow and we, Willie Davis trained him, and he, he started there and uh, uh, ended up uh, working in North Bay, Ontario, and settled in Mobile, Alabama in the, the uh, mid-'60s, and that's where he, he homesteaded. He never worked in other territory other than briefly uh going back and moving back to Louisville and splitting his time between uh, Nick Goulas and uh, working for Bruiser. But he only did that for about four months before he moved back to Mobile the last year before he retired from the business. But, uh, yeah, there was was a rich history there as far as uh, Louisville goes. I know Barnett was involved at some point there.
5: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Essentially, but, uh, you
5: mentioned Wee Willie Davis because that's that's really kind of the next historical. You know, he, Elvira Snodgrass is, is one I've been working on. It's harder to find info on her, but I'm really kind of homing in on Wee Willie Davis just because not because of the wrestling career, the promoting, um, you know, the, the, the movie career as well. And it was just just an interesting character. Um, while I was finishing up, uh, actually after I finished Louisville's Greatest Show, a guy got in touch with me. He read the book and said I worked with Wee Willie Davis when he was the the gym supervisor at the Jefferson County jail in Louisville, that was in the seventies after he had quit promoting and everything. And um, he was telling me these horror stories about working in the jail and how everybody worked there ended up in the hospital at some point with a broken nose or a broken something or whatever. It's like, we, Willie Davis never had that problem. He was, you know, he was an older guy at that <laughs> point, but he was still, you know, big enough and scary enough. He had those cauliflower ears. And, and you know, when they came into the gym, they behaved and, and, you know, he, he never had any problems with them and they never had any problems with him and, um, he said he honestly didn't know who he was until one night he was watching a movie late night with his wife and recognized him from one of his old movies and then started talking to him about it, and, you know, found out that he had been a wrestler and everything. And, um, and just every story I come across about him, just, just such an interesting, colorful character. And, um, one of my favorites that's in Louisville's greatest show is, is the night he was at a ice hockey game at, uh, what's, what's now, the, the now closed Louisville gardens. Um, and uh, he was sitting right behind the penalty box and there had been a fight and two guys had been shoved in the penalty box. And as soon as they got in the penalty box, they started going at it again. And so Wee Willie Davis, you know, takes it upon himself to try to break up the fight and the goalie for one of the teams happens to look over and see this giant of a man reaching over, grabbing the guy from his team as well as the guy from the other team. So the goalie comes over with his stick and whacks Wee Willie Davis right across the top of the head. Uh, there's a great photo of him in the courier journal with his head completely bandaged up holding the hockey stick and, um, his <laughs> comment afterward was, "You know, you don't come into my ring, and, and I, I really I should, shouldn't have stuck my nose in there. I should have known better." <laughs> um, you know, yeah, just well, it's just funny a because character. he,
2: you know, that's how Bob Kelly got it. He got Bob Kelly used to go to Louisville Gardens as a fan, and and mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah. when Willie was promoting there, and uh, he wasn't, you know, wasn't smart to the business or anything, so. He uh, there was a guy that sat in front of him that it, that was a loudmouth, and and Kelly told me he said I I listened to him week after week after week, you know, running the wrestlers down and all that stuff. He said finally I told the guy you know, you know he needed to shut up. So anyway, it, it all ended up as a, a big big fight that drew everybody's attention away from what was going on in the ring, and uh, when we we Willie really Davis uh approached Kelly afterwards, um you know, asking him what was going on. I mean, what what started and all that. Kelly told him, so uh, Davis was impressed enough that he he helped him get in the wrestling
5: business. So. That's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah. I know that there's a story too. Bobby Heenan tells his first night in the ring and did and, and Willie Davis chasing uh, Johnny Valentine in the locker room and, and knocking him around so that the cops could drag him. I don't remember the particulars of that story, but it was Bobby Heenan's bio and. Uh, according to, of course, the horror story that was Bobby Heenan's first night at the Louisville Gardens, which was always a it, it, it was a rough place to, rough place to work for the Heenan. Not not as bad as you know certain places in Louisiana, but you know, um, according to uh, Dean Hill, who was the voice of Ohio Valley Wrestling here in Louisville for a long, long time, but the police actually wore riot gear to work the weekly wrestling shows and. Um, Another story he told me too was that they uh, about the mid to late 70s, the police started to notice a trend in one of the rougher neighborhoods in Louisville that crime dropped every Tuesday night from about seven o'clock until 11 p.m. And they weren't real; they were they. It was just seemed like kind of an anomaly. They were they're usually you know on every other night there was a, you know kind of an average number of domestic disturbance calls and this and that and everything and scuffles and you know, mostly just domestic arguments. And then they finally honed in on it. Oh yeah. Everybody who we would otherwise be busting—they're all down at Louisville Gardens. They're watching Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and all those guys. So, it um, was a rich
0: history that town. Absolutely, and yeah. Goes, goes back over a
2: century. The worst one that uh, we've ever heard about is right there in Kentucky's Hazard. Everybody that ever worked
5: Hazard, Kentucky has horror stories. In <laughs> well, gosh, I have a promoter that I know, I've some JJ McGuire, who was uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart's Jimmy uh, Hart's music writing partner. I'm working with him on his autobiography at the moment. But uh, he, he had a mom and a son. They had to throw out a couple weeks ago because, you know, like, even, even in this this current day and age, there are certain parts of you know, yeah. And, and this is this is the sticks of Kentucky. You know? you know, they 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 took it a little too seriously, and they they got a little upset and, and tried to go in after after the wrestlers, and they they had to throw them out. And uh, I've seen that on a few occasions, even here in um, Southern Indiana, we've got a nice little place called the arena that two tough Tony runs and you get the right heel on the right mic and, and he gets in front of the right crowd and the right person's out there. He could, I mean, I saw a woman, you know, huge woman with the baby under her arm, tears in her eyes, screaming and cussing her lungs out um, at this, at this kid from Owensboro one night just because he made her so mad Um yeah, there's there certain people out there. That there are still people that have have the gift, you know, on the microphone, and then they have the gift in other ways that, that they can they can get under your skin and they can make you forget for a moment that it's real. Well, I guess I should say that it's you not real, but, uh, yeah. it, it sure feels real to them at that moment.
2: <laughs> you mentioned Elvira Snodgrass. I think the the problem you're going to come across with her is all the various names she works under. She must have worked under yeah, half is, a dozen different names.
5: She she was El Elvira Snodgrass, Elvire, cousin Elvira, cousin Elviry, cousin Elviry. Um I, I have found found multiple multiple. I, there, there's a couple others too. I've got got a list of them somewhere. Um, they they whenever I go to eBay, you know, once a week I'll go and I'll check for certain folks like we Willie Davis and I'll still look for Jim Mitchell and Stu Gibson's another one who um, was a native of New Albany here where I live, but um, Elvira, I right. got to type them all in, you know, Elvira Snodgrass, Elvira Snodgrass, and I found stuff on other on names, and um, you know, it, it just it, it's kind of hit and miss, and uh, I've been real fortunate that I've been able to come across uh, one of her great nephews and one of her great nieces, and uh, be able to get some, some personal stories from them, and uh, it was actually through them I was able to confirm the story about the car accident that she was in that, that cost her her arm, and um, what happened? She was driving by herself uh, outside of Covington, Kentucky. Rolled her car into a ditch, and her arm got pinned um, between the door and the ground. She had she had the window down. Her arm was out the window when her, when her car rolled, and she actually had to physically cut her own arm off to get out of the car and then get up to the road and wait for help. So, um, you no, know, I read once Mae Young telling a story about yeah, the first time I walked into to a wrestling. You know, training and everything. There was this girl, Alvira Snodgrass, and I pinned her in five minutes. I'm like, yeah, mate, no, there's no way. This woman cut her own arm off. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't know. know. Now, if anybody
2: had a chance to do it, it was May Young. I mean, she she. Uh, I was scared of May Young when, when the first time I met her, and she was 89 years old. I was still terrified yeah, of she, her, but she, all they the they boys certainly were They certainly
5: of don't her. make her like anymore, <laughs> so, but. I i I feel though. it. Yeah, I feel like Elvira Snodgrass kind of got you know she she was she passed away very young sometime and I haven't even you know, pinned this down yet but sometime in the fifties and uh, of course all the other ladies outlived her and and um, you know thanks thanks to the McMahon's and everything Mula and May you know were able to kind of reshape the whole narrative of women's wrestling about themselves and so Elvira really kind of got lost in the shuffling and kind of got lost to history you know just because she died so young and there was nobody left to tell her story so but um, it, it's I, I love these kind of stories that. that you know, it, because these were all, I mean, every, every pro wrestler you meet, it, it doesn't matter who they are. They're an interesting character. There's, there's something screwy about every single one of them makes them want to go out there and do this. <laughs> so, And uh, you know, they, they, they've all got a story to tell. And, and um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, my my favorite thing I, I love when people say hey i read your book and i love this or when people email hey i got a question about this or i found this interesting thing or whatever my favorite is when somebody you know emails me like this lady does out of the blue she says hey my grandfather was railroad route yeah railroad route was was a local louisville wrestler going all the way back to the 1920s and 30s you know i mean long long forgotten but it was a name that i immediately knew from from having worked on a couple of books and and, and seen his name multiple times. So I've had some neat conversations with her and she sent me some photos and, um, you know, some scans from some newspapers and stuff. And, you know, it's just, you know, there are all these stories that, you know, that, that, you know, you know, have been lost or, you know, you know, in a lot of cases, everything's been thrown away. Everything's long gone. It's in the landfill, but you know, you come across every now and then something like I did with Jim Mitchell, you know, or a guy emails me and says, Hey, my buddy bought Jim Mitchell's estate. You need to get in touch with him. Um, I contacted the guy and he had bought the house as a flip right after Mitchell's stepdaughter had passed away, which would have been around 2002. And uh, she had kept all of Jim Mitchell's stuff, you know, and it was all still in this house. And um, from what he tells me, you know, of all the stuff that he saved, you know, he probably threw out twice as much, you know, just, just because of water damage and because it had been sitting around in the basement and everything had been ruined and, you know, kind of disintegrated. But I mean, we found nine pairs of wrestling boots. We found multiple, Show posters from from Arizona and from Kentucky and, you know, other places. And um, I found the wrestling program from the night that uh, he and Gorgeous George, you know, incited a riot in Los Angeles at the Olympic Auditorium. I've got a letter from the California Athletic Commission asking him to appear to answer to his partner citing inciting that same riot. Um, I've got stuff from his military days. I've got the flag that was draped over his coffin and the funeral. And, um, and his entire pipe collection. This guy is still, it's all still in Toledo, and he's still kind of holding out for somebody to give him the right price. But, you know, Jim Mitchell collected pipes from around the world. And, you know, his fans sent them to him, his friends sent them to him, and he picked them up different places. And we're talking thousands thousands of pipes you know these giant rubber made tubs and some of them are displayed they're, they're old and dusty now but they're you can see how he had them displayed on these wooden boards at one time and um some some beautiful you know some you know hand carved and, and stuff and gold inlaid things and stuff like that um i mean it was just a treasure trove to be able to find all these things and you know to read through his ledger book and to see how much money he made each night you know when he was working in california at a certain time how much money he spent on hotels you know when he was paying for massages when he was buying new trunks when he was buying new boots when he had to apply for you know all this stuff is, is recorded in these ledger books and you know it, reading the you know, personal letters that he had kept from different people and finding all these things from you know his masonic apron and, and other things from from his uh from his work with the masons and it's just amazing to hold this actual history and and you know it's yeah, I, I gotta believe that there's more of this stuff out there, and, and that that's that's really the the thing that I enjoy most is is digging up these old stories and finding the people that, that still have the memories and still have the stories to tell. Well, Jerry, we found our guy to do the book on Van Fleet. Yeah,
2: really. <laughs> <laughs> have you really? ever heard that name, Don Van I, Fleet? I have
5: not heard that name. He have, was. Uh, he
2: was. Uh, an independent wrestling promoter before independent wrestling ever existed. He, his wife, uh, her name was uh, Violet Ray. Uh, she was a lady wrestler. She billed herself as as the world champion, of course. Um, you know, uh, outside of Mildred Burke, and I mean, they they went back to the the late forties all through. Uh, Van Fleet probably ran up until the mid seventies, didn't he, Jerry? Promoting yeah. somewhere or another. I mean, he yeah. was everywhere. Every little nook and corner of the world, where where you know a that wasn't a regular wrestling town, he had a troop of uh, of girls that he took with him. And I'm thinking, uh, at some point after Elvira Snodgrass lost her arm, she worked for him, but under a different name. I do. I because he I had a
5: he, he had a one arm
0: wrestler.
5: Yeah, I do know that she worked without the arm, but I don't know what name she worked under or anything, and, and, and none of her relatives recall that, or not. But able to find it, i have not been able to find anything after the car accident where she wrestled. But I, I would certainly love to. It, it sounds like there's, there's, there's I've probably. I think i I may have it
2: somewhere. The name that she worked wrestle. I'll, fi- I'll find it, and I'll, I'll get, you, get you that information because I'm almost positive she worked wonderful. for Van Fleet. Uh, I definitely want to talk to you guys but, uh, too yeah. about Wee
5: Willie Davis. If you guys have more stories about him as well, so this is a uh, you know I, I'm always I'm always amazed when I start down a rabbit hole and all of a sudden doors open left and right. Someone's like, "Oh, I know somebody who, know, who knows something about that."
2: Um, yeah, I you so, know yeah, every I, I, once in mean, a while I look up and, and people reach out to me. In fact, just uh, uh, about two weeks ago, um, and this may be a name that that you may have come across in, in researching Louisville. There was a wrestler by the name of uh, Joe Costello. He started in uh, 1952 in, uh, um, I want to say, in Kansas. He was he was stationed at the Air Force Base in, in Kansas, in Salina, Kansas. That's where it was. Uh, he started wrestling uh, while he was still in the military. Um, his real name was Jose Castillo, but you know, he, I guess, it. it people didn't want to use a a Latin wrestler. So he changed his name to uh, Joe Costello and uh, he wrestled. uh, uh, He was from San Antonio, Texas, but once he got out of the military, he wrestled in uh, throughout Missouri, uh, the Gulf coast area. um, Didn't really wrestle much in in Texas at all. Uh, Spent a lot of time in Tennessee, but anyway, he was, he was shot and killed in a uh, bar um in nineteen sixty three october thirty, 30 it was thirty first of the thirtieth but anyway he and um two other wrestlers dick dunn and um willie garrett they were wounded, but he was shot and killed and uh the guy that killed him was the bartender there he got he was acquitted because he he said that the guys he was defending himself that it was self defense but anyway his daughter reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. She was only five years old when, when he died and I've I've been fascinated with you know Costello because you, you can't ever find anything on him. Uh you can see write ups of where he worked and everything, but I, I I never had any good photos of him. But she uh she sent me some stuff on him and I was able to share with with uh, with her everything I had on him as far as uh clippings of, of towns he worked in and everything that uh, I shared with her so I've had a couple of different people uh, reach out to me and, and share stuff with me. There was a guy that uh, worked here in Georgia named uh, Al Velasco, um, who uh, is now passed away, but he worked uh, under that name and also under a mask as the champ. And his daughter reached out to me uh, a couple of years ago, and, and I was able to give her some stuff that she
5: didn't have. So, yeah, that's that's always fun. Uh, that's, uh, um, I love it. And you, you can't you can't let anything go. you you got to look at everything. It was, it was a couple weeks ago. I was scrolling through Facebook, and somebody posted a photo of uh, this Buddy Rogers and another guy leading a training class, and they pointed out that the second guy from the right was one of the Fargos. I don't, I don't, I think, I don't remember if it was Don or if it was Jack. It, I think it was Don Fargo. And it was Don. And Don, Don Clark, yeah. And, and then the guy right next to him, there, there's an African-American wrestler, and I'm like, that's Ricky Waldo. And then I made a comment and about it, and I was like, no, 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 the photo has him identified as Ray Ward. And I'm like, that's – and so I posted some Ricky Wall. it's like, that's Ricky Waldo right yeah. there. And, um, yeah, was, like, yeah oh,
0: this
5: I been, know which
2: photo you're talking
5: about. Yeah, this, this would have been probably about six months or so. I think we narrowed it down to his – I don't want to say it was 1953. But it was a couple months before he and Mitchell started actually traveling together. Um, I want to say in late, late 1953, so – um, yeah, I, I don't know if Ray Ward was was would have been his real name or not. I've, I've not had any luck looking looking up Ray Ward. I've, I've tried looking through the archives of at least at least what's online of Ohio State athletes because it listed him as as having been an all you know an all American at Ohio State. But yeah, again, it didn't list the sport, so I don't know if it would have been football or wrestling or what it would have. Been. I'm guessing probably wrestling. But um, just another clue and another you know you know just just one more little piece to the puzzle of, of his story because. Um I mean, Ricky I cover him a little bit in the book and, and was fortunate enough to, to get, you know, um, thanks to Bruce Hart, I know that he worked in in, in Calgary for, for Stu Hart and, and, and was part of a, a troop of African Americans that worked up there for a while. And um I got to know Koji Miyamoto, one of the great Japanese historians when I was at the Hall of Fame last summer, and he had a Ricky Waldo story about him walking into to Ricky DeZan's office and saying, My name is Ricky Waldo and I want to work for you and they gave him a chance. So he ended up working in Japan for about three or four years, and even carrying the tag belts at one point.
2: Yeah, he's, there's a he's another one that's, that's there's not a whole lot out there. I would I would think Ricky Waldo that that wouldn't be a giving name. I would think Ray Ray Ward would be, be the giving name. Um, but uh, I know he worked a lot in uh, Seattle. Um, you ought to, while you're at Cauliflower Alley, you ought to try and catch up with Dean Silverstone because he can probably tell you, who, you know, he he grew up in Seattle, and I know Ricky Walter spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest out there with Shag Thomas and uh, Luther Lindsay. Yeah, so well, that definitely, Dean
5: can definitely probably to the give about you that. some information. I mean everybody's got little bits and pieces. It's great. You know, one of the things I love about you know the the wrestling history community is 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 there's no there's no ego and there's no hoarding. Everybody wants to share information because we're all trying to put together you know pieces of this giant puzzle. And um, it's, yeah. it's such a great you know I, you know just a great community to you know any chance they get to be around you know a group of other writers or you know, a group of other history buffs or whatever. And, Um, You know, everybody's got cool story. You know, it was (laughs) the funny thing at at the Hall of Fame this past summer, you know, was you had some pretty big name wrestlers that that were there at the time. There were some old school guys, there were some new school guys, and Booker T was there, and uh, some of the hearts were there, Stan Hansen and everything, you know, and all all of us writers, the guy we wanted to hang around with was Koji Miyamoto. You know, because here was a guy, you know, his boast to us on, on day one, you know, his first time, my first time meeting him, his first time hearing this boast was, you know, you show me any photo of Andre the Giant, I'll tell you what year it was and where he was <laughs> and what he was doing. Um, and then Lou Vezza's widow, Charlie, was there and she chimed in and she said, if I want to know what Lou had for breakfast on September 23rd, 1973, Koji knows <laughs> hes just uh, he's one of those guys like like Jay Michael Kenyon was he's just yeah, you know, he never forgets anything, and some of the details and stories he has are uh are just fascinating and, you know you know oh, the rest of the wrestlers were certainly an attraction for a lot of the fans there, but you know for, for guys like me Ko- Koji was a rock star it was it was just great to to pick his brain and to hear to hear him tell stories and you know, and to hear and um and then you know him asking questions of us as well so. Where are you, where
2: um, are your books available? I know you've got a website. Eat, sleep, wrestle is is your website. So, um, uh, are your are your books available through
5: your website? Um, You can read about them and and, and get links to them on Amazon through through the website. Everything is on Amazon.com if you want to go search for my name there. Um, Or you can go to EatSleepWrestle.com and kind of get a look at, you know, what I've got available, also what I've got coming up. Um, Like you mentioned, I've got the two Louisville books, uh, Bluegrass Brawlers, which is kind of a survey of Louisville wrestling from 1880 all the way up through the present day. Uh, Louisville's Greatest Show, that's the one I wish more people would pick up and read because that was the deep dive that I did in 1935 to 1957. Um, that whole era with, with, with Jim Mitchell, Haywood Allen, and, and Francis McDonough, the promoters, and uh, Gorgeous George Luthez, Mildred Burke, Elvira Snodgrass. And a, lot, a lot of – what gets to dive is a lot of local figures too that, that people wouldn't necessarily know. But again, I mean everybody's got a story to tell, and they're all interesting characters. And, um, I did Dr. D. David Schultz's bio, Man Man Pondo's uh, autobiographies up there, Lord Leslie Carlton is, is another historical figure that I wrote about um and i've got I'm working on uh i mentioned jj mcguire and i'm also working with tracy Smothers on a book that hopefully will be out uh probably the first of next year so um folks can find me at eat they can find eat Sleep, wrestle or they can also find me john cosper on facebook um you know feel free to drop me a note and email me if you got information on any of the names we, we've dropped today you know by all means get in touch with me or uh you just want to yeah, ask questions or, or pick my brain or whatever so and then all the, and yeah, you yeah, mentioned, all the books are on amazon.com <laughs>
2: You're talking about Jim Mitchell working. He, he and Gorgeous George worked a lot with each other. In fact, I'm I don't know if you've seen it. I'm not sure. I'm almost positive it's it's. I know for sure it's Gorgeous George, and I'm thinking it's uh, it's Jim Mitchell, but it may be Woody Strode. I've got a I've got a, a match on video of them working in a ring that's actually on a pontoon, and they're floating out in a in a lake. <laughs>
5: I would love and to I see that. That would, Mitchell, It may not be. It
2: may be. It may be Woody Strode. I'm not sure which one it is, but yeah.
5: But uh, there are very. I mean, I've seen only a few clips of Mitchell. There's one of him wrestling in, from a trip from Australia that's on YouTube, and there's also a clip out there of him and Gene Stanley uh, from a short little documentary subject about Gene Stanley. Um, I wish I could remember. I want to say it's bad. It's one of the guys from. Uh, I'll think of it as soon as we hang up. Who it was he was wrestling against in Australia, but um, now I'd, I'd be interested to see that. You know, if, it, if it does turn out to be him, that would, that'd be something to watch.
2: Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to verify. It. I'm not even sure where I've got it. I've got all my stuff. That a lot of that stuff is still packed away, and I, 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 I just remember seeing it at one point or another. But uh, I think about it. It's it's either it's either Mitchell or it's Woody Strode. I'm leaning toward Woody Strode the more I think about it because I'm sure it was done in California, and that's pretty much the only place Woody Strode ever wrestled because um, yeah. he was he was involved in, in movies and everything. But uh, and of course he was a football player at UCLA and everything. So, well, how you, just your research is how you landed on on Jim Mitchell your research of Louisville?
5: Yeah, I was, it was working, working on the Louisville book. Um, I actually came across, uh, there, there was a result from, from early 1940s show when Heywood Allen would, would bring in the African-Americans with special attractions. It was usually Seeley Samara. or it was, it was uh gentleman, Jack Claiborne, King Kong Clayton, and, and Jim Mitchell were the big names. And, um, one particular article that I found mentioned, you know, Jim Mitchell, of course, was, was a local Louisville guy. He worked at the Bellhop at the local hotel, got a start here before he, he left town to go and make it big. So um, it was a name that I took note of and, and started following and tracing. And um, when I got my hands on uh, – it was actually after meeting Jim Cornette and him recommending the book Whatever Happened to Gorgeous George, uh, that was when I read the story about the, the August 1949 riot, you know, when – he and Gorgeous George were wrestling and, and George threw Jim Mitchell out of the ring and, you know, a fan rushed the ring and George turned around and decked that guy. And then the fan fought until about three o'clock in the morning. Um, and, and that was it, really, this guy really fascinated me. You know, I was like, here's one of the early pioneers of African-American wrestlers, you know, he was from Louisville, Kentucky. So it was, it was a local connection. And, and it was also just, just a name that I'd never heard. And, you know, I've obviously had a, had a story to tell. And, um, the deeper I went with it, you know, the more fascinating it became. And, you know, this whole narrative that, that everybody kind of assumes about, that, well, there was a color barrier until Bobo Brazil came along in the fifties, you know, was a complete fabrication. You know, it was, um, I talked to uh, Chris Parsons, who's, who's, you know, done a lot of research on, on Dick the Bruiser and in the Indianapolis territories, you know, even before mm-hmm. Bruiser's time. And um, he, he kind of was of the opinion that it was, it was really just kind of a selling point when, you know Bobo broke out in the Indianapolis territory you know it was the first time seeing an African-American wrestler a white wrestler and it was really because it was it was it was televised you know because Bobo was the first guy that you know a lot of people saw you know on television in in front of a national you know broadcast audience and Mitchell really you know he did a little bit of television um, but he most of his career pretty much predated that time but um, you know when he broke in in the Midwest, there were no other African-Americans to wrestle against. You know, it was the same story for Jack Claymore in, up, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. There was nobody else for him to wrestle against. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they yeah, unless he came below the Mason Dixon line, Mitchell was pretty much wrestling, you know, any, anybody and everybody, um, you know, it was sadly, I mean, in his home hometown, anytime he came back to Louisville, it was always, you know, it was always a single, single race match. And, um, just you know because it was much obviously a much more heated racial scene and everything but um, there's, there's a great story I got from uh, uh, Dr. Jerry Graham jr. Um, who was uh, Martino Angelo's protege back in the 60s and he got to take a couple of trips with Martino Angelo into Jim Mitchell's liquor store you know where they would sit in the back room and uh, Mitchell would pour the good stuff and they'd start telling stories and um, they talked about there was this one time they went into a town in Ohio. And, you know, the way Mitchell and Angelo described it, this was a town where everybody in this audience, you know, first of all, it was all white faces, but you also knew that back home, they all, most of them had white sheets with two holes punched in them, you know, hanging up in the closet. It was just one of those kind of towns, you know, so here comes Jim Mitchell out. He's supposed to be the baby face. And then Martino Angelo comes out and these people hate Martino Angelo so much. They're willing to put aside their terrible prejudices to cheer for Jim Mitchell because they hate Martino Angelo so much he was that big of a heel. Um it said so there was another night and it wasn't the same town but it was it was a hot summer night and you know Angelo's working Mitchell as in a headlock in the middle of the ring and Mitchell starts giving him the signal, "Hey, I'm I'm about to pass out here." And next thing you know, Angelo realizes Mitchell is just going limp in his arms. The building's hot and he had the chokehold on too tight. He lets go of them Mitchell goes limp on the mat, and the fans rioted and came after Martino Angelo. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you had the right guy to, to, you know, across the ring from you, you know, anybody could get over it. You know, certainly helped him yeah. quite a bit. You know, being able to work against a guy like Martino Angelo and and uh, guys like Danny McShane and, and Wild Red Berry and um, some of the other really really great heels that kind of came up in that time during, in, in the Midwest.
2: How late did he wrestle?
5: He uh, he stepped off the road full time in '55, but his the last match I found of his was a special attraction in 1963 when he beat Killer Kowalski. Um, he after '55 he kind of settled in and, and started working the liquor store, and he would. Uh, um, kind of lend a hand with Martino Angela, who was running Toledo and work as a referee in some of the other towns that he had, you know, really been a part of since the the late 30s. Um, And then every now and then, you know, a program would heat up between him and one of the wrestlers. He would, you know, come in as a special attraction and and do a wrestling match instead of working as a referee. But uh, full-time, he pretty much quit after 1955. So that was, I mean, if you figure – Nineteen thirty is when you start seeing him; his name regularly appear in the paper. And I know he had to have been working before then, uh, so that's more than twenty-five years full time, and you know, altogether, to, all you know, more than more than thirty years he was he was in the business.
2: Where was his? Where did he he settled in Toledo?
5: Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, he was uh, born and raised in Louisville. and um, Really got got his big break working in Indianapolis for Jimmy McElmore. Uh, who's an interesting character himself. He was, he was a magician and was actually the attorney for the International Association of Magicians. Uh, but uh, Moore supposedly took him on a trip to Europe when he was probably in his late teens or around 20 years old. And then uh, when they got back to the States, he, he really kind of gave him his big break working in Indiana. Uh, then ultimately, I think, just because of the better racial situation and everything, um, that, that's, that's why he ended up settling in Toledo and uh, kind of making that his that home really pretty much is i mean it's it's where he you know lived what he what he was' we not working in another territory for you know the rest of his life and um one of the things we found in his house was the, the, the purchase agreement where he and his his second wife had purchased the house that uh, Dave Marciniak, the guy that I got all this information from, you know, had had bought and flipped back in two thousand two, and uh, you know they, they bought that house in, in fifty five and they pretty much lived in it until they you know both ended up in nursing homes in, in the early uh, early nineteen nineties.
2: It's a shame you never got to meet him. That's that's the thing. <clears throat> I, I, I was lucky. It's, I was. It's uh, a shame so too that there's
5: watching. <laughs> ahead, I'm yeah, sorry. It, it, it's sad too that there there seems <clears throat> to be no no legacy. You know, because again, it, his it was his stepdaughter. His, his 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 second wife. It was her. It was her child from a previous marriage. Uh, her name was Roberta Kahn, who was living in the house, you know. When, when yeah, you know, and she was the one that passed away, and then then Dave was the one who, you know, came in and bought it from the bank. Um, but it appears she 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 had been married and divorced. She had no children. Um, there were different mentions at different times and newspaper articles by Jim Mitchell about having a son, uh, his son being an athlete at Ohio State, and then there was even the debut of a wrestler who went under Black Panther Junior. One time, in, in one of those Ohio towns where Mitchell was working as a referee, but um, I, I, there were no papers anywhere that mentioned,, you know, a, any son of his. And you know, I, I searched through ancestry.com looking for looking at census records to try to find any, any evidence of him having a son couldn't find anything. Um, you know, when you look at the later documents from his life, you know the last will and testament it names his wife as primary beneficiary. Of course, she she passed away before him. She was actually nine years older than he was. Uh, and then Roberta, you know, was was a secondary beneficiary. So, um, you know, when his wife Julia passed away, then, then Roberta obviously became the heir. Um, they had signed over power of attorney to her. I'm, I'm assuming most likely because they were both. Obviously, they were both elderly. Um, I know Mitchell was suffering from from dementia and, and possibly Alzheimer's in, in his later years, and spent a couple of years at a home in Michigan, um, not not too far from Toledo. But um, they had signed over the home to her, and they signed over a power of attorney to her. So I mean, everything went to his stepdaughter, you know, who he was obviously very close with. Um, had a good relationship with but it just you know the, the question still lingers was there a sun did something happen to the sun was there a falling out did the, you know, the sun die what, what could happen and there's just there's just no trace you know and it's uh yeah um it's one of those things i figure, you know the week after i published the book something will pop up but nothing's popped up yet <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, somebody asked somebody asked me earlier. Really, hey, well you're you know, also I dealing with the wrestling business where there that. were
2: so many yeah, I I mean in the wrestling business there were so many, you know, pretend brothers and pretend sons and, and everything. It's it's yeah. You know, there's probably been uh, a half a dozen it, you know. Bobo Brazil juniors that uh
5: well, they after, none of which were riot. actually
2: related to it.
5: See after the riot in nineteen forty nine, uh there there were multiple Jim Mitchells working on the same nights at a couple of different instances, you know, as people were playing off the notoriety uh, he had from the riot. Mitchell's working up in New York and New Jersey, but there's a guy in you know, January of 1950 advertising Jim Mitchell, recently had a riot with Gorgeous George in Colorado. <laughs> he was never in Colorado. He didn't know that time. But, uh, you know, somebody found another African-American wrestler said, guess what? You're the Black Panther tonight. You know, by golly, they had the Black Panther Jim Mitchell, and none of the fans were any of the wiser. So, you know, but not like you had national television or you know, professional pro wrestling insider or illustrated or any any of that to, to tip you off.
2: Yeah, and you you'll find, yeah, and I'm sure you've already found it in, in all your research. Whenever you had a special attraction, like back in those days, uh, the the black wrestlers come in, or or the lady wrestler, whatever, whoever put together the program or the or the you know gave the information to the newspaper run the run the uh, ad, whatever picture they could find, you know they'd they'd say, okay, well this is here, here's a picture of Penny Banner. Well, here's the fabulous Moa, you know. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
5: Yeah, it's, yeah, there was, there, there, was a, crazy. there was a newspaper uh, ad from somewhere in the, the 1950s, and it's a photo plain as day. It's Jim Mitchell, but you know, it, it wasn't Jim Mitchell who actually wrestled on the card. I don't remember the details of it, but um, you know, it, it, and things like that are frustrating because it's like, well, was he actually there? Could he have been there? It's like, no, no, it was him. So, but uh, yeah, it certainly I mean, I've come across that multiple, multiple times. you you mentioned
2: the, the uh the things you, projects you've got in the works um
5: anything you, you you so you've done play playwriting as well right yeah i haven't done that so much in the last couple of years just cuz cause, cause the wrestling thing has just kind of taken off but kind of the way everything went for me was you know as a freshman in in college and in the fall of 90 this would have been 93 um i got put in charge of the youth drama group at my church and you know that led to in, in the summer of 94 me founding righteous insanity which was a drama ministry that i ran for a long time and um i wrote skits i wrote plays and um yeah it's just i mean actually people would contact me hey we need something for our you know pastor appreciation here's some stories about our pastor and everything can you work it into a skit or um i need a couple of skits for you know summer camp and everything and um did that for a long time and it just uh I think I think the, the Christian drama scene kind of faded away, and um, you know I've actually I actually had an opportunity a couple of years ago thanks to somebody that I used to write drama for. You know he called me up one day and said, "Hey, have you ever written children's ministry curriculum?" I said, "No." He said, "Well, you're gonna." So I've been doing that regularly for the last several years and that's, that's <laughs> turned into a really nice, yeah, kind of segue from, you know, let, let the drama stuff go and kind of segued into that. But um, at the same time, you know, while I was doing the drama stuff, I started getting into film and, you know, I got my, got a hold of a, you know, digital video camera and an Apple computer was, and, uh, Produced a number of short films that are all still up on YouTube, and um, wrote some longer film scripts. Actually, had one feature that was that was produced by an independent producer and, and shown at a couple of film festivals, which was which was kind of fun. And um, wrote a lot of science fiction, and, and still write some science fiction every now and then. I've written a couple of uh, children's children's books. Um, one was a compilation of stories that I told my you know would make up at night for my kids at bedtime, and. Um, the ones that my kids were like, yeah, Daddy, that was a good one. You know, those are the ones that would make the book versus the ones, you know, that wasn't a very good one. Tell me another one. You know, <laughs> so, um, so I've, I've done, done quite a bit of stuff. and I, um, all my fiction stuff's available at uh, johncosper.com dot com if people want to check that stuff out and see some of the sci fi and, and short stories. And um, actually, a collection I put out last year that, that I'm really proud of is called The Big Bad Goodnight, and it's a uh, series of fairy tales retold in the style of kind of the the noir detective novels and everything. And uh, my favorite story in particular in that one is, uh, I don't remember the title of it off the top of my head, uh, The Girl with the Golden Locks, I believe. But basically I took the story of the three bears and I mashed it together with Cape Spear, with Goldilocks being the Robert Mitchum character. And uh, that's certainly one of my favorite, of all my fiction works, certainly one of my favorite things that I ever wrote.
2: It sounds like you stay busy.
5: It, there, there's always ideas and there's always something to work on. So, and um, you know, actually, last year I had a uh, indie wrestling group called the, the Bomb Shelter. That they're kind of their gimmick is that they're time travelers and they're, um, you yeah, know, they're always looking for new and creative and different things they can sell at the table. And one of them contacted me and said, "Hey, would you want to write a sci-fi novel about a group of wrestlers?" And I said, "Absolutely." So we're, we're kind of developing a series of young adult novels based on their characters. And um, The really fun thing about this about them is the fact that they're time travelers means I can take, you know, modern day independent wrestlers that we kind of throw in as cameos and put them in the circus in the 1880s wrestling against circus wrestlers or, you know, like I did in the first book, you know, I have this one young younger guy from, from today in World War II in India wrestling against Lord Leslie Carlton and um, the next book we're, we're working on is going to have even more wrestlers and, uh as Strangler Lewis is going to make a cameo and um, a number of others. And so it's, it's, you know, one of those things is like, well, this is going to happen, you know, science fiction and wrestling coming together so one way or another. But um, it's one of those things that was just like, you know, do I have the time for this? No. Am I going to do it? Yeah. Because it was fun. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah. Joseph Schwartz, Randy West, Zodiac, uh, make up the bomb shelter and just a creative fun bunch. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to work with them, and um, a lot of the wrestlers that we've incorporated and, and special guests and everything like that—they're always thrilled to to see themselves be part of something like that. And, um, it's it's fun too being able to write something you know, because they wanted to write something that was accessible for younger audiences. And I've got a ten and an eleven-year-old, and, and they absolutely ate it up. And they they can't wait for the next one. Well,
0: I'm glad you you uh. And,
2: it's overwhelming because, like I said, when I when I first uh, asked you about doing the show, that I only had known about the the uh, few books that you've done. The more I dug into what you what you've been involved with, it's amazing. It's a uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing to do something you love for a living, isn't it?
5: It, it certainly is. It, it, it I, 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 and I'm you know I'm, unfortunately it's not my my main living, but uh, you know every day you're making progress and making new fans and growing it. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, if, every week something happens. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I get paid to, to write about wrestling and, and to talk to wrestlers and, um, you know, to, to dig up these stories and, you know, and, um, and again just constantly and just just like You know I mean, our conversation tonight You know going straight to Wee Willie davis Once we got into wrestling it's like that's my Next historical project so i just <laughs> Um you know it's it, it's a Blessing and it's it's exciting and it's, it's Just always always fun to You know you just like, Am i supposed to be doing this is this A worthwhile thing for me to be doing with my time Okay well this happened again so obviously I must be doing something right Um you know i, I certainly enjoy It i love telling these stories and um, you know, whether it's the old time wrestlers or, or even, you know, the, the the guys and the ladies that are hustling out there right now, working all these little indie shows and everything, Um, they inspire me. You know, they they, they had a dream. Jim Mitchell had a dream. He wanted to make something of himself, be a pro wrestler, and he did it. And, you know, that that's the same as all these other indie stars that, that I watch and I've gotten to know and, and befriend and everything. And, you know, I see them driving four or five hours a night. They, they get paid. What twenty thirty bucks from the promoter? They're they're lucky to sell a couple t shirts and, and by golly they'll be doing it tomorrow night, you know, because it's what they love and it's their dream and their passion. And um, I find that inspiring. Well,
0: I know Jerry, you
5: you listen,
2: you've well, got you've, you've, it's, it's your time to go. But it, I was going to say before you drop off uh, another time, Jerry didn't have time to do it now. But if you ever get around to uh, fighting anything about the Kansas City territory, Jerry Oates and can tell you some story about. Uh, Sell them t shirts up there.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Had to mention that, right? (laughs) That's
1: an inside uh, uh,
5: thing. That was a good story he's hinting at there that uh, I'll
1: have to hear. Yeah, my son was (laughs) up there last weekend at that tournament, and uh, I told him to look around for that guy that sold my shirts or gave them away, whatever it was. (laughs) I made, to, <laughs> I made up for it at those I made up for it at the gym. So. Well, listen, I got to go, guys. I got to see about my wife before right, I go Jerry. to bed. And All right. You can. Y'all take care, course, guys. And, uh, I promise. You talk you to you
2: soon. Good talk to
1: you soon. Right, Good Thank night, you.
2: Jerry. Bye-bye. Good night. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, the wrestling business. It's. Uh, there's, uh, we were all in it before uh, before the, the, you know, guys were making millions of dollars like they do, us, like some of them do now. Uh, I know a lot of them still struggle. But uh, and how, how many times, Bobby, when you you first started refereeing, you'd referee, what, five, six matches a night and get $40? Uh,
3: When I first started in 1972, the guarantee was $15. Hmm. And,
5: uh, that's funny. The, all the guys today are—that's their guarantee as well. So, and, and inflation hasn't been kind to.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: well, a lot of these guys today that are working these independent shows, some of them are working for nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's—it's—they—they they love the business, and I, and I appreciate that. But it's just—it's—it's a, it's a dead end. There's uh, the odds of ever getting a job with McMahon on a big promotion on a big stage is. is is if you're not six foot eight and you know, or a giant, uh, you know, your your odds are not great. Plus when you get there if you do what you're supposed to do, there's no guarantee. David Schultz is a prime example. He was a scapegoat. I've never met David Absolutely. Schultz, but I know enough about this business to know he was probably told to defend the business and when he did, that was the you know, end result. But still Uh, You probably know far better than me, but yeah, it's it's a I'm glad guys my son referees for an independent promotion Uh, He loves it. He's always wanted to do it because I did it and uh, he he uh, we've had conversations to uh, You know make him understand. Hey as long as it's fun. Go do it. If It quits being fun. You're not going to get rich. Don't get hurt and uh, stay out of the way <laughs> but yeah, it's a
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, fifty yeah, we were my my in Georgia the longest trip we had was Savannah, Georgia. Two sixty two each way, five hundred and twenty four miles round trip. We had to leave home at three thirty on the day of the show, be there by seven thirty. It was a four hour trip. Uh hour before the matches, dress, two hour show, thirty, forty minutes, take a shower, cool down, get dressed, get in the car back home. It was a you know, ten, eleven hour day and we made fifteen dollars because we knew Savannah was not gonna draw because where the building was and, and the part of town it was in and it was just a just wasn't a good situation at the time. Uh you know, I could have made more money pumping gas at a gas station and been home a lot quicker. But hey, it was the business. It was what it was and you uh if you loved it you you got out there and beat the roads up, so uh Yep. I appreciate these guys that are working hard. I just, uh, I just hate it's a
5: dead end street yeah. for them. It, the, the, I think there's there's more opportunity now than, than there has been the last couple of years. And not that it's gonna not that it's ever going to be what it was when you had you know twenty or thirty territories across the country. But you know you, you've got more places that, that seem to be you know you've got well you've got people that are owning you know some of the. the the secondary promotions that have the money to spend and they're, you know, they're, you know, allowing these guys to, to make a full time living off what they're doing. And um, then you got guys like Bob Evans up in, uh, up in new England, who's teaching guys, you know, it's like, look, you know, if you, instead of driving by yourself, get in a car with four of the guys, share your hotel room, pull your money, you know, you know, whatever this and that. If you hustle, you can, you can make a living at it. You can kind of further yourself. And again, not, not that it's, it's going to be what it once was, but it's certainly evolving into, you know, it's, it, there's not just, you know, it's not just WW or bust anymore. Well, it's, it's,
3: it's, it's impossible to book a territory. I mean, you can't, the internet, the internet killed it. I mean, you know, you
5: can't, you can't program and
3: bicycle your tapes and do the things we did. Um, yeah, it's right. never going to be the same again, so you just have to right. make the best of the situation. A lot of guys, where... lot of
5: guys though, they're, they're kind of, what they're kind of doing is they're kind of building their own circuits, you know, and they're they're yep. saying, okay, well, there's this promotion here, I can work this one every Wednesday, you know, every, you one Friday a month, I can be here, one Friday a month, there you I can go. be there, and, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're being smart about it, they're, they're partnering up, and um, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot more camaraderie and sporting each other than there, than there was back in the, and that's just, it's just a different culture. You know, today, everybody, everybody knows, they're, you know, like we're all working for 10 bucks or we're all working for a hot dog tonight, you know, but back then everybody was a little more protective of their spots and stuff.
0: Right. right. Um,
5: you know, I, again, it's just, it's just a wonderful culture. I, I, I love being around them and I love, love feeling the energy and the excitement that they've got, um. You know, it's it, it's it's yeah. A couple occasions I've gotten to go out with them afterwards and everything. You know, you're, you're sitting with a couple of guys that were beating the crap out of each other a couple hours earlier. And they're comparing the bumps and bruises or you know how many splinters they got from the table or whatever. And stuff like that. Um, it's just a, it, it's just it, it's just, just fun, you know. And it's just I, I I'm certainly I, I'm glad to be part of it. You say you're coming to Vegas this year. <laughs> I will be in Las Vegas. Yep, I'll be. uh, Yeah, please. And I've got a got a table. Yep.
3: Me and uh, Me and Charlie Smith have the. uh, We sell the official. uh, There'll be several people there selling stuff, but we got the official Call of Fire Alley t shirt So, yeah, please come by and and uh, and speak. Because a lot of times I don't get to roam around much. Charlie's the politician, and I get stuck sitting there. So come by and I uh, gotcha. And then let me see a face.
5: I, I will I will absolutely stop by and say hello. Look, look forward to it. Please do. Uh, this is my first time. So time headed out there, and I'm, I'm I could not be more excited about it.
3: You'll you'll have a good time. It's it's a uh, it's a fun place to be. It
5: certainly sounds like it. Yeah,
2: man, dude, you do. Pick Brian Smith's brain too, because uh I think he refereed uh, <coughs> some of. Uh, William Muldoon's matches in the eighteen hundreds.
3: He was the referee between Jacob and (laughs) the Angels, so that's, you know. As Dean Silverstone says, when he when Charlie started the count was one. (laughs) 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 Mike, you want a Braves Uh, update or you want me to let you just keep watching it?
0: Uh no,
2: I've got one to nothing, so I'm happy with that. Don't 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 break case. Oh, okay, I won't spoil
5: it.
0: Okay.
5: I'm an ice hockey oh. fan, in my my uh, down in the basement, Maruko is not cooperating, so I don't know what the score is on the Canadians and the Capitals game right now. So we're tied for the last uh, playoff spot, but I think I think the Blue Jackets have one on us. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll check it when we get off. <laughs> it's not. <laughs>
2: That's one thing I have never tried to to follow Is ice hockey My daughter watches it uh, Or she did at one point uh, Atlanta's actually had a couple of teams I don't think they've got one now I uh,
5: I don't recall where they moved They had the Thrashers I want to say they're now the Winnipeg Jets But I'm not for sure um, My wife's like Why in the world would you pick a You know, of all the teams to follow, why in the world would you pick Montreal, Canada? I was like, yeah, it was. It was. I had X M for a while, and I was listening to the the playoffs one year, and it was uh, just happened to be listening a couple nights in a row, and uh, it was Canadians versus the Bruins, and you know, within a span of about a week, I learned to love the Canadians and hate the Bruins, and um, it just kind of (laughs) stuck with them. So (laughs) it's funny. We've got a good friend that lives in uh... Montreal.
2: Yeah, we've got a All good go friend ahead. that uh, lives in East Tennessee, and and he's a Chicago Cubs fan. So uh, his heart's been yeah. broken here yeah. the last couple of nights. He's not answering the phone to anybody that wants to call him from Atlanta. He says a, <laughs> he's an Atlanta area code. He he won't even answer the phone. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> uh. It's funny, I'll run into wrestlers from, from, from Montreal and not a one of them's so a Canadian fan. It's like, nah, they'll just break your hearts. <laughs> so they're all like Blackhawks fans or something <laughs> else like that. Um,
2: well, I'm just looking here at uh, um, Elvira Snodgrass. Her real name was Catherine Duvall. I don't know if you knew that or not. But she worked uh, the names of El Snodgrass, Annie Snodgrass, Edna Yoder, uh, Elvira Snodgrass, Elviri Snodgrass, Catherine Duvall, which is and Kitty Duval.
0: So her real name to, was uh
5: Guth, was uh, Guthrine Fuller. Uh her maiden name was Fuller and her original first name was Guthrine. Um and that's 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 coming yeah, from her, her relatives Duvall down there in Louisiana. Yeah. She was married three times, Um, only had one child. I've got got it all written in, some details escape me on some of this, but um, yeah, she she had quite a few names. (laughs) It's uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to keep up with her, but uh, it's it's one of those little side projects I've got. It's like one of these days I'm going to hit the jackpot to finally have a full story to tell. I was too to glad to so, you know, Gladys Gillum isn't
2: alive anymore because she could probably tell you all about
5: her because I'm sure Gladys worked with her at some I point I know. Or I would other. say, say they're, they're all gone, and, uh you know, but, you know, I just keep hoping, you know, I mean, the the, the website has, has been great for me because, you know, you, you kind of leave – you're kind of putting bait on the hook, you know, and that was how I came across one of her nephews and – um you know, that he, he introduced me to, to her niece who, who lived with her for a little while before she passed away. Um, was he just, I guess he was, he was Googling her just to see if, you know, he could find out anything new on her and came across my website. You know, same thing happened with, with coming in touch with the guy who had Jolla Jim Mitchell stuff. who was somebody who had Googled it and said, Oh, Hey, you know, you need to get in touch with this guy. and Um, I actually heard from a few people that grew up in, in that neighborhood in Toledo where, where the black Panther carryout was, where his liquor store was. And, uh, they told me some stories that said he was just the nicest man and we'd stop in and look at the photos on the wall and he'd tell us wrestling stories. And, um, and just, just good memories. And so, you know, I keep, keep throwing the lures out there and uh, you know, just, the stories sometimes kind of come to you and uh, you
1: know. Well, how much
2: luck have you had on with uh, the Wee Willie Davis thing? As Quite a bit. Um, information on the
5: Yeah, it, it, seems, it seems like every bio you read online, it, it, I mean, it seems like verbatim, <clears throat> his Wikipedia page is the same as, as what you see on the, the Wrestling Data pages and stuff. But, um, you know, I've got a full listing of, of all the movies he's been in. I've actually collected a bunch of them on DVD, uh, picked up a couple of movie stills, you know, off of eBay. And uh, um, I, I did get to, to interview the, the guy who would work with him as a prison guard in his later years. And, um, and, I just, it, again, it's just, just kind of picking up little bits and pieces here and there. and um, I haven't started doing, you know, it'll probably be after I finish with Tracy Smothers' book or at least until I've got that one to a manageable place where, you know, we're just, just kind of finishing up. But um, I just did a quick search on newspapers.com. I went to the very first result, you know, that, that I found, We Willie Davis's name. And um, I don't remember the exact details, but basically we he was, you know, Thrown down and drug out of the ring by four policemen At the end of the match And I'm just like, this is going to be fun <laughs> This is just going to be a fun story <laughs> to tell I um, know, no, at least in uh, California so this, He was
2: he was billed as the brother of Cooper Carl Davis Who was also an actor
5: Yep um,
2: Did movies yep. at the same time I'm not sure if they were really actually brothers or not Yep
5: And he worked as the masked Black Panther In California for a while as well um, actually, that oh, they really? were so big in California, he and uh, uh, I don't recall who it was that was working as his manager, but they went and they worked the same gimmick in a couple of different territories with, with him as the masked Black Panther.
0: Well, that was that I was a that, common how it came name across the same the,
5: the first time was somebody telling me, yeah, there was a guy named Wee Willie Davis who worked as the Black Panther. It's probably something Tom Burke told me, but uh, I, I don't recall.
0: And
2: uh, Tony Nero also worked as the Black Panther in the late '50s um, in Louisiana. But that's that's a that's a fairly common common name as
0: far as it was math. a common. You know, if, if you were
5: an African American and you were you were quick and you were athletic, they they labeled you the Black Panther. And I've got a whole chapter of the book yeah. dedicated to different Black Panthers that I that I came across. And, um, you had you had to sort through and you know and again, you just type in black panther on uh, newspapers dot com and um you know I, you know fortunately i I had a couple of different guides, and I had a couple of different you know listings of you know I knew where Mitchell was every year and what territory he was working, so you know, and I see this result from you know someplace else and everything, I realized okay, that's not him, this is him over here, um you know it's a different animal than than trying to figure out, okay, what name is O'Hara Snodgrass using this particular week? And you know, where was she? (laughs) That's true.
2: That's the thing that drives me crazy is is I, I, I am in the process of, of, uh, doing a, a, um, record book for Ken Lucas. Um, one of my favorite wrestlers growing up and luckily enough I got to know him after I got in the business and actually wrestled him uh, and everything. And I had started putting together some stuff for him uh, before he passed away with the idea of giving him. He had nothing. He, he kept nothing from his career. And so I was uh, putting together this, this record book for all the different places he worked and all the match results and everything. But uh, Unfortunately, he passed away, but I kept I've been working one or ever since, but I'm up to 1400 pages. One. And then wow. I, um, cause he, he started, he started 1960 and, uh, his last, last full time, uh, year was, was early 1984. He was involved in a, a car crash that pretty much ended his career. He would come back and do, you know, do little things here and there, but, uh, um, nothing of any, you know, not, he wasn't working full-time anymore. So, um, that's, you yeah.
0: know,
2: almost 35 years. And, uh, and back in those days, you know, those guys worked, uh, six, seven times a week. And sometimes even more if they did, uh, depending on how many live television shows they did, prior going and doing house shows. So I'll never be able to be, you know, have everything, but, uh, Right now, I got I got a lot more than I ever thought I'd come up with and I mean, I found results for him in Pittsburgh, which is where he was originally from. He grew up in Arizona, but he was born in Pittsburgh. Uh, as far as uh, as far as Hawaii, uh, Ohio, Colorado, you know, he worked all over the place. I mean, I never know. I always just figured he always worked in the southeast. I know he worked some in in the uh, Southwest when he first started, and would go back there periodically. Of course, his His biggest run was working for uh, Jill Blanchard Southwest uh, in San Antonio when they were on uh, the USA Network. That was probably his his biggest run. But uh, he was pretty much a homebody. He he owned property in in Pensacola, and he kept a home in in Mesa. And uh, he was one or the other, and he usually worked somewhere where he could be home every night. He was a homebody. But, uh, you know, that's why people talk about uh, even Jack Bresco said that, that he could have been one of the biggest, you know, a bigger name than he was. But everybody kept telling him he ought to come here, come here. And he finally relented. Uh, Jack talked him into going down to uh, and working, you know, for the Florida promotion for Eddie Graham. And he was down there about five months, the summer of, of uh, 1976. I mean, that was enough. He came. <laughs> even. Did a run through Tennessee and then came right back to uh, to Mobile and stayed there. But he just yeah. he didn't want to travel anywhere. And so yeah. he made decent money where he was and mm-hmm. home every
5: night, and that was that was enough for
2: him. So he was happy. <laughs> yep,
5: yeah. that was kind of the the story of why Louisville went dark in the in the '60s because that uh, that territory ultimately fell under under Dick the Bruiser after he'd taken over Indianapolis from from Jim Barnett and. and really kind of kind of the general sense I got was you know Bruiser you know he he was making a pretty good living working you know central Indiana and working northern Indiana and Chicago and things like that you know southern Indiana you know into into Louisville you yeah, know Evansville and everything you know it was just a different market they liked a different style and everything and you know rather than adapt to that and, and try to win that market over or changed him he was like yeah you know what just close it I'm making enough money up here so You know, that was why it went dark. And then, of course, when Jerry Jarrett came in and opened it up, you know, Bruiser and Snyder showed up and said, hey, this is our territory. We get 20%. So, uh, you know, Jerry (laughs) had to pay them tribute until he went out of his own in 77. You know, not
4: going to pass that up. It was their territory.
2: After Bobby got through refereeing, he was Jim Barnett's office manager here in Georgia. And when they started, they faced a similar thing when they started, you know, doing Northern tours. You know, they'd go to towns that used to be the Sikhs, and of course, you know he hadn't run them in in years. And then they go up there, and he suddenly shows up with his hand out. Yep, yep.
3: <laughs> well, that wasn't necessarily true. Now, I mean, let me, uh, Barnett was such a when we ran Columbus, Ohio, which was the first town we ran up there. Uh, Barnett voluntarily gave him some money. He didn't, he didn't have his hand out, and Jim didn't know him anything, but Jim did that. That, was, that happened at a lunch meeting the day of the first show. I was sitting over in the corner of the restaurant and watched the whole thing. Uh, uh, so, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case. Now, he did, we did, you know, we did try to do some joint shows to help him out and help the guys up there out. He had some guys that could work up there, and they were starving to death. He wasn't paying them anything, and he was just a, bad situation and we went in and did a joint show two nights drew more money in two nights than he had drawn in in 6 weeks uh everything went well on that trip we tried it a second time and he stole the box office and when he did uh he uh that ended the relationship and that's when we ran full bore up there and and uh, we never gave him another dime so yeah it was a it was a it was a mutual thing i mean it was a, a Barnett tried to do the right thing, and uh, uh yeah. it just you know some people you can't help.
5: And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Are you insinuating there's some shifty characters in the history of wrestling? Because <laughs> I, I I don't believe any of that. Let me tell, let me
3: tell you something. When, when he passed away, and and all when the Sheik passed away, and all this stuff went on the internet about what a nice guy was, and what he did, and how he did, you know. I typed this I typed out about two pages worth of stuff and then I remembered something my mother taught me that if you can't say something nice don't say anything at all. But uh here here's the this is with 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 being in the ministry for over thirty years and pastoring for twenty eight years, with God is my judge, this is what happened the night it happened. He came to me before the matches started and said, Our announcer did not show up. These people know you from doing the interviews on T V up here. Will you do the ring announcing? Well, I had no reason not to trust him at this point because it had been a decent working relationship. And I thought, this guy's got to be smart enough to know that if this continues, he's going to make more money than he can make on his own. Uh, He was notorious for advertising people that weren't booked, wasn't going to be there, never showed up. And uh, I had to stand out in front of the buildings with my Georgia Championship Wrestling blazer on so that people knew we were there and they would buy tickets. Well, anyway, while I'm doing the ring announcing... Uh, He had a young lady that traveled with him. Uh, And while I'm in the ring doing the announcing and he's working the main event, she went upstairs and checked up, got the money, and left. And when I got downstairs, of course, his story is somebody stole the box office. She, She didn't know we were supposed to split, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at him that night and I told him, I said, Bud, I said, you have cut your nose off to spite your face this time. I said you yep. have you have destroyed whatever credibility you had, and I said it may cost me my job. I said they may fire me when I get home. I said and if they do, I've learned. I said but but know this, <laughs> your days are through. And uh, we came back, booked that first tour up there, sold out everywhere we went. People lined up. We turned folks away every night up there, and uh, he was sitting at home in Detroit in a rundown. House that he didn't have money to finish, and that's the way it ended. But I just, you know, uh, that's not sour grapes. That's just a fact. That's what happened. And, uh, exactly. yeah. You know, and hey, you just sometimes you can't do the right thing, and that's the first time I've ever told that story. So, uh, it's just, I mean, the guy, and, and you know, the sad thing is, is I've talked to people that worked for, for the Sheik over the years, and they said he was a great payoff guy. Those people up there believed that gimmick till the day he died. They were, yep. he still drew people, you know, and and I just I, I don't know, I just I hate it ended the way it ended for him. But I mentioned Jim Powell earlier, who pastors a church up in Lafayette, Georgia. Jim went up there to work for him and took his ring up there, and Jim was, uh, you know, was was doing it, and, and and Jim was was wrestling, and Jim was becoming getting over a little bit. So they told him, they said, Jim, we don't want you hauling the ring being one of the wrestlers and kind of getting over said, so we're gonna haul the ring for you, we're gonna haul your trailer and uh, we'll put the ring up, whatever. Jim had to go to the Sheik's house in the middle of the night and steal his own ring back. <laughs> his, bro- his brother his uh, brother I mean, you know, his brother had a pistol and he was standing our guard while Jim hooked it up. I mean just there's all kinds of stories up yeah. there. And I and yeah. like I say I'm sure he was good to some people. Nick Goolis was great to some people. Other people, he wasn't so nice to. So, it's 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 very, uh, you know, just. I know one side everybody of Jim and other people know another everybody side, and.
5: Yeah, so everybody has different experiences with everybody, and you know, there's there's there, there, there's still, you know, there's. Yeah, I, I, I make it a point not to talk bad about anyone, but there, there's still promoters out there that do things the old school way. And, oh yeah, you know they 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 they'll 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 rip you off, you know, lie to your face, and you know, and, and, and string guys along and stuff like that. So, but uh, um, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, my wife once said, like, you're going to end up doing something, you're going to end up working backstage or. As a manager or a ref, so I was like, I am not doing it. I am staying on this side <laughs> of the rope. I'm staying on the seat. I'm enjoying the shows. I want nothing to do with that side of it. It's like, you know, I don't – yeah, absolutely not. So, you know, the closest well, I've ever come is – um you know, one of the local guys training and everything's talked to me about coming in and teaching improv class, which yeah, well, you know, I it would you. be fun just just to do that again. But I can tell I can yeah, tell no. you, and some
3: of them need that. Some of them need to learn how to sell. But anyway, they, I, huh? this is the truth. I'm I'm 60. I'll be 64 in a couple of months, or about a month, I guess. And uh, I I have arthritis in my knee. Uh, my shoulders hurt. Jerry Oates, who just left us here, has had both knees replaced a shoulder repaired uh i mean it's just you 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 pay for you know we thought we were superman and we we're paying yeah. for it now yeah. and i see some of the things yeah. these guys do now i hope they're saving their money <laughs> they're not, yeah. not yeah. going to make 2025 20, years
5: no, no. Yeah, it, 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 I'm always glad when I see see guys investing in it or you know, building build side businesses or something like that. He you know, like, you
4: know, you know, the guys
5: that have, have an eye towards, yeah, this is not going to last forever. So, it's, no. uh, you know, you got guys. There, there was one of the guys interviewed for a, a book I wrote about independent wrestlers called Eat, Sleep, Wrestle. He you know, was like, hey, you see this spot on my back, which is some sort of a bulge or whatever. It's like, what is it? it like, I have no idea. Like he was seeing the doctors, like nope, I don't want to know what it is because cuz will tell me I have to stop and I'm not going to stop. And so yeah, you know,
3: just, yeah, that's uh, you know he just yeah,
5: you know he's afraid of losing his spot and afraid of losing his livelihood. You know he's like you know I was like all I got is me and my dog and wrestling. So it was just a uh, you know guy truly, truly loves it and lives it and breathes it and everything. So but you know everybody's got everybody's got to realize that at some point you know it's going to go away and then what happens next?
3: Well, when the movie The Wrestler came out. Uh I was able to get an advanced copy of it before it hit theaters. And I sat with my wife and watched it one night. And when it went off I was crying. And she asked me, she says, Why are you crying? And I said, Because I know guys like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know I was smart enough when I knew my run was over, I got a job. And I was blessed to be able to retire two years ago. Uh uh, Scrappy McGowan, who refereed, uh, who kind of started as I was quitting. As soon as his run was over, he got a job. He retired this year, and you know, so many of the guys, they just keep hanging on and hanging on and hanging, on, and they have nothing else, and and they're just, it's it's just sad to watch. It's sad to mm-hmm. watch. It is, yeah,
5: it, it, it is, it is hard to watch, you know. There's certain there's certain guys too that you know they they go out there and you know they, they can't do what they used to do but they they work as as Rip Rogers likes to say they 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 work smarter you know and you know they can still go out they can still grab a mic they can still entertain a crowd and you know you know Tracy Smothers comes to mind too I've seen him multiple times in the ring and Tracy outside the ring can 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 barely move these days but you know he does the stretches and everything and he goes out to that ring. And he'll be out there for twenty five minutes, and he may wrestle for all of two of it. You know, he might he might take two or three bumps the whole time, but you're entertained the whole time because he's old school and he knows how to hold a crowd in the palm of his hand. And uh, yeah, it's 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 neat to see that every now and then. And, and you know, it just you know a lot of times you want to smash some of the younger guys in the head. It's like, pay attention to what he's doing. This is how you're going to have a career that lasts. This is how you're going to be able to wrestle past thirty. You know. You know, you don't have to do a hundred high spots every match. You know, you just learn how to play to the crowd and entertain and, and and work smart.
3: Yep, that's well, you know, I can remember we laugh. Uh, the superstar Bill Eadie, me and him, when we get together, we laugh about it. Back in the day, we could walk. We could walk around five, ten minutes, and never the guys would never lock up. Just the interaction between the two guys and myself. And 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 the heel working the crowd. Ten minutes, never lock up, never touch. Yeah. And 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 yeah. you know, it's it's all in it's all in how you present it. You know, absolutely.
4: And so
5: yeah. anyway. All right, Michael. I'm out I think of questions. That, uh, <laughs> that, I think about that that WrestleMania eighteen match between The Rock and Hulk Hogan. The first ten minutes is just the two of them just sitting there looking around and just the crowd is just, i mean they, they you know just seeing the two of them in the ring for 10 minutes was was, was enough for those fans and, you know and, and, and you can see the look of disbelief on both their faces too as as to how the reaction went but uh you know well, you know, I I think I think too that yeah. you know and one of the one of the reasons I love to tell these old stories especially to the, to the younger wrestlers and everything is it's like you know There's gimmicks, and there's tricks, and there's little things that these people did, you know, back in Gorgeous George's days, Luthes' days. Nobody has seen anybody do this in 50 or 60 years. If you can figure out what it was that got this guy over in 1955 that nobody's seen since then, you can make yourself a career off of that. Because everybody, to them, it's going to be something brand new they've never seen before.
3: Well, I I got another thing here, Mike. I'm jumping back in. One thing that was going on back in that day that's not happening today. Everybody was different.
0: You had Absolutely. short guys. Yeah. You had
3: tall guys. You had Italian guys. You mm-hmm. had German guys. You had you had Spanish guys to some degree. Not a lot, you know. Then you bring you, you, then the then the the interracial matches started. Uh, gorgeous Shores, Nobody had ever seen no, no do that stuff. He did. You know. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's yeah. the same everybody's the same. Everybody's got to have music to go to the ring. Everybody, you know, and regardless of how good your entrance is and how good your music is and how good your, your, you know, and you go back to that 1955 and you go back and you watch those matches. Of course, I've said this many times. We were our own worst enemies. You know, you go back to 1955, you can watch a guy work 40 minutes with a hammerlock. And people buy yeah. reach up and pull hair. People go yeah. crazy. Then we got to where we were yeah. jumping off buildings at a single leap and a bound and going through tables. And What do you follow this with? We were ben and Mike were talking last night coming home from church. A buddy of mine sent me a tape of two guys working somewhere with probably ten people in the crowd. They're actually cutting each other with weed eaters. I mean, what do you follow it with? We're our own <laughs> worst enemies in this business that we just kept getting further and further yeah. out there. The greatest yeah. piece of advice I was ever given was given to me by Dick Steinborn the very first night I worked his town in Columbus, Georgia, way back in 1973. He sent me down in the dressing room and he told me, he said, Bobby, he said, always work a shoot. He said, if you don't believe it, how do you expect those people to believe it? And I've applied right. that not only right. to the wrestling business, but to everything I do. If I don't believe in what I'm doing, if I don't believe in my salvation, how can I convince other people it's real? And it's true with everything you deal with, and that's just, you know, and I think that's part of it. Yeah, you're right. you got to be different. But everybody, you know, I told my son, I said, it would it would amaze people if old Joe Blow come out of the dressing room one night when they rang the bell and just walked to the ring and climbed in it. I watched people run around mm-hmm. the ring shaking hands, music blaring. These people don't know who these guys are. There's no TV. There are no stars, and and, and yet mm-hmm. they're act. You know, it's just. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You got me on my soapbox yeah. a little bit there, but it's. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's the thing. There, there's no difference in what they're doing. Nobody's different. Everybody's the same. Yeah. It's like a
5: cookie cutter. And it does, and it doesn't take much to make you stand out.
4: No, you know? no, not it, at all. It would not, not take that much.
5: So you know. You know, Not a guy all. guy I know up in New York that that I like his name. He goes by the name Mister Darius Carter. You'll never hear him give a shoot interview. I heard him on a, on a on a podcast. You know, with some guys that they they get the shoot interviews. They love to talk about wrestlers. Well, where's your favorite place to eat on the road? This and that, and everything. And he kayfabe them the whole way. You know, and he's a guy that he he's never sold a T-shirt. He's a bad guy. He's a heel, and he you know, he Hello. gets it. You know, and it's just yeah. You know, he gets it. I go to just, shows and see and guys. And, man, they hate his guts.
3: <laughs> some I, I go to shows and see guys that accidentally, they'll go in there and they maybe don't know how they did it, but they'll slip up and get some heat. You know, the people don't know who they are, but, they but the, you know, they get some heat uh-huh. and people, people get into them a little bit. They climb out of the ring. Rather than go to the dressing room, they walk over to the gimmick table and want to sell Polaroids and T-shirts, and it just kills everything they did. Yep, and, and yep. you know, nobody's planning on what you're going to do the next show. One of the things yep. I told my – I have a brother-in-law that's running a little independent. And my, he asked me for some advice. And I said, "My, the greatest piece of advice I can give you is this. When you go do your show on Saturday night, do not plan your card by what's in the building. I said, you've already got their money. They're going to have a good time on it tonight. Hopefully you'll have some left where you can have a good time on it tomorrow night. I said, mm-hmm. do your show tonight – for the next one, plan what you're going to do to make these people want to buy a ticket next time to come back.
0: Yeah, and I said, yeah. you know,
3: he said, I never thought about that. I said, well, h- hello. Yeah. You know, if you're going to run this one time There's, and never do it again and do what you yep. won't do, but if you're coming back, yep. you gotta, they gotta have a reason to come back.
5: There's a couple of promotions. Like I mentioned the arena here in Jeffersonville, Indiana. There's a couple of promotions, every show, you know, Stuff's happening that's setting up for the next show, you know. Exactly. But by, by, the, by the end of the night, you know what the next show is going to be. There you go. You, know, you saw that guy You saw that guy get offended when somebody else came out, you know, when he was he had left. He comes back out and he attacks that guy. So, you know, there you go. There's one of your matches for next time, you know, or somebody can make the return or somebody, you know, something happens during a match or somebody turns on somebody. They're constantly, you know, they're, they're, and some of these guys are two or three shows ahead. You know, that's the way it's,
0: that's it's way you it's, book
5: it's just booking one on one, yeah,
3: that's yeah. it. That's very simple how you do it, Tom Ernesto, is you've probably, already got their
5: money
2: for that night you gotta you gotta plan on getting their money for the next, right the next right. time, yeah, right,
3: Tom Ernesto, so, uh, who was one life, of the life. and Bob Kelly was the same way, they'd be three or four weeks out on their booking. They mm. knew tonight what they were gonna blow off yeah. in four weeks, so they were starting to okay. build something in the underneath card to take the place. Of what they were blowing off in four weeks, right? It was just you know, and you're right. It's it's not rocket science. It just takes a little thought.
5: I still don't want to do it, but you know, I I get how it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't want to do it either. I'm I'm very content (laughs) to stay home.
5: Yeah. All
3: right, Mm -hmm. Michael's back at you.
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm blown away by all this. He's answered my questions before I could ask him. Uh, like I said before, I'm just I'm glad to see somebody who's who still follows the the current stuff, which I'll admit I don't. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched, other than I when I was able to, when it was airing, first started airing, I would watch uh, Lucha Underground because that was... That was unique to me. I I, mm-hmm. I kind of like the Mexican style. Uh, a lot of people don't. But again, there's a
5: lot of history, but yeah, you've got you got quick. so many different choices, you know. And it's just, I, I think for a lot, you know, for a long time, you had two types of fans on the internet. You had fans that, <clears> that still <throat> watch WWE, and you had fans that like uh, they watched just so they could complain about it. I've always been of the mindset, you know, if this isn't what you like, find something that you like. You know, I mean, every every tiny little, you know, I don't want to say every tiny little, but a lot of promotions are they're on high spots, or they've got their own networks, or something like that, or they're on YouTube and. You know, there's something out there for everyone. There's there's much more old school shows like, you know, like what Herb Simmons runs out in East Carambale, Illinois with SICW. And, you know, and then you got – if you want something totally comic bookish, go watch Chikara. You know, there's, and there's actually yeah. – you know, I've been to a Chikara show and I've seen some ridiculous the, – the kind of stuff that just drives Jim Cornette up the wild and up the wall and he can't <laughs> stand it. But then I've also seen some fantastic – you know, just straight ahead, really good wrestling matches at Chikara shows. And um, You know, New Japan is, is, I've been a huge fan of New Japan the last couple of years, and uh, a lot of my favorite independent folks have kind of migrated over to Impact, which I've, I never ever watched on their TNA days, but I've actually been enjoying that, you know, and, and seeing the, the people on that show. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there, there's something out there for everybody, and, you know, I think it's awesome that, you know, it's WrestleMania weekend and yeah, you've got the big show on Sunday. That's going to go what 12 hours or whatever it is. They're staying. But before that show happens, you've got 30 something other shows that are going to be going on. You know, every wrestler that I, you know, I say my but you know, almost every wrestler I know is up in New York, New Jersey somewhere. and At least half of them are working someplace, you know, and, um, they've all got their tights and their trunks in the, in, in the trunk, just in case something happens and, you know, they get a shot to, to get on somewhere and, uh, you know, it just there's a lot there's a lot out there to to enjoy, and it's just a matter of finding something that you like. And if you really don't like what's out there, then go to YouTube and you know Smoky Mountains up there, you know, and, and some of the old classic mm-hmm. AWA and stuff like that. Um, actually, there's a free network on Roku called Rasslin that. Uh, to be honest, there's yeah. a lot of garbage in there. There's, there's some part of wrestling and this and that. But then, you know, I mean, first time I turned it on, the first thing that came up was Freebirds and Von Erics. And I was just like, this is Nirvana right here. <laughs> <So> <laughs> this is, um, that, that's really what. I mean, I, I, I got into wrestling during, you know, it was just kind of the beginnings of the rock and wrestling era. And it was really, I, I want to say probably because Simeon Lauper and Mr. T were hanging out with them. And that was who I was into. And that got me into the wrestling. But um, it was really. It was it was odd because uh, you know I was born and raised in Miami. We moved to Texas for a couple of years, and it wasn't until I moved up here, you know, to the Louisville area, you know, which at that point it was USWA and it was it was kind of on its way down the whole Memphis territory. But every afternoon on ESPN was world class championship wrestling, and it was from it was you know a couple of years previous. It was all reruns and stuff like that because um, you know, this was 1987, 88. You know, when Ultimate Warrior was already you know in yeah, I guess '89 when he was already working for WWF. But you know, I'm watching him as the Dingo Warrior, and I'm watching Percival Pringle Pringle III, who, you know, I. It always kind of I love the Paul Bearer gimmick, but I always wish they would have given him a run as Percy Pringle in, in WWF because it just he was so nasty and so such a great heel manager. And, uh, watching the Von Erichs and the Freebirds and, and and that whole crew from from down at WCCW was just that's what really hooked me. That that's what what really got me into it as a kid and um you know it was it was later on in life when when i got hooked as an adult for good and um one particular summer when a friend of mine moved in with me and brought all of his wrestlemania tapes and all of his other bootleg tapes and all of his wrestling books and that was when i read nick foley's have a nice day and bobby heenan's book and um you know a bunch of others that summer and you know it kind of kind of laid the groundwork for for i am now
2: Well, you're talking about Percy Pringle. The, the Pringle character was was much closer to his his true self than the Paul bear was. Uh, even though uh, Moody, uh, Bill Moody was his name. Um, he was he was. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. He lived across the street from my parents until the day he died in Mobile, Alabama. Mm. And uh, he was, uh, of course, involved in the Gulf Coast Wrestlers Reunion, which Bobby and I were both on the board uh, of that for for a while in its heyday and, and uh moody was on the board but uh he uh he was a fan he used to take photos in at uh same promotion that i broke in with when i was you know doing odd jobs around the around the arena for lee fields who was uh the promoter uh for the Gulf Coast territory and uh bill was a was a fan there in fact that out of that whole group uh of guys that, that used to hang around the uh the the mobile auditorium and, and come to the matches and everything. Uh one of them was was Percy Pringle. Uh John Tatum mm-hmm. was another one. Uh Robert Gibson, who I knew as Reuben Gibson, um uh from I knew his his, his older brother Ricky. Um but they were all fans that used to come. there was a guy named Mike Hendricks. It was, uh, was, was Moody's best friend. And, uh, they started, uh, together wrestling on little, you know, uh, independent shows in, in Mississippi, uh, promoted by tiny Frazier, who most people know as uncle Elmer. Uh, he was, yeah, uh, yeah. he was promoting little little outlaw shows, you know, around, uh, Mississippi and, uh, Bill and Mike were working over there as a as a tag team called the uh, the Undertakers. Huh? Or no, they, they, no, they were the Embalmers. I'm sorry, the Embalmers. And uh,
0: <laughs> Bill he be
2: got out of the uh, he he actually was a mortician. He he uh, ran yeah, a, yeah. a funeral home in, in Mississippi. But uh, uh, they somehow or another they uh, they hooked up, or, or at least. Uh, Moody did. He hooked up with uh the Calkins when they were running opposition to uh Bill Watts in Mississippi. Um, and he started there. Frankie Kane, the great Mephisto, was booking for for them and uh he's the one that gave him the Percy Pringle the Third Because there had been two guys that you had used the name Percy Pringle prior and years years earlier, so he was the third one to use the name, so he was Percival Pringle the third. But uh, but there was a lot of guys. Uh, Michael Hayes was another one that used to hang around, uh, Mike Seitz. He uh he was refereeing uh for Lee Fields, uh and doing jobs on T V um when I was around. You know, he, he broke in uh of that group and then he ended up uh running into Terry Gordy there in Mississippi working for the Calkins. They put them together and the history of those two games. Yep. Yep. One of the
5: things they tore up. <laughs> 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 they tore up had
0: all had that hotel
5: um, Yeah, I heard a great story on uh, on, on Percy Pringle. It was um, he had come in to work with uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling with Kane, and uh, they were booked at one of the River Riverboat Casinos. I don't know which one, but it was one of the casinos on, on the Ohio River. So. And, um the wrestlers and everybody were; had all stayed the night, and they were all given a free voucher for for one free meal at the at the buffet at, at the casino hotel. So breakfast time came around, and it was uh, Kenny Bowens, the guy who told me the story. He was, of course, you and Cornette were lifelong friends, and he was uh, uh, it was John Cena's manager at OVW before he got called up, and,
0: and managed quite
5: a few other people, that, that Mark Henry and, and a lot of other names. But um, you know, everybody knows Percival Pringle was was a big guy, but Kenny's a pretty big guy too. Kenny Kenny was you know probably probably around 400 pounds at the time, and um, they met up for breakfast at the buffet. Kane joined them and a couple other guys. And they sat around, they talked for hours and hours and, you know, a couple hours, and every now and then everybody would get up and get another plate. Then all of a sudden, the crew came out and changed the buffet over from breakfast to lunch, and uh, Percy Pringle got up, went up, and helped himself to a lunch plate. Kenny got up and got lunch. Kane got up and got lunch, and they all they all had some lunch, and they stayed there for a couple more hours. They ended up having dinner afterwards. Just took that one <laughs> meal ticket and rolled it into an entire day at the buffet. And, uh, as Kenny tells us, it's like, next time we got invited there, we did not get the meal vouchers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there was a guy named Johnny Heideman that used to
2: uh, – he worked for the Crockett. Well, he worked all over the place, but he ended up working – was the end of his career at the Crockett's, and he knew where every buffet was in that territory. And you know, all the through the Carolinas, he knew where every buffet was—the ones that would let him come back a second time, because he would—he'd uh, <laughs> pretty much wipe them out just right by himself.
5: I, I have I have a few wrestler friends to thank for me discovering Cookout and, and, and quite a few yeah. other places and different spots that I've I've eaten at and enjoyed the last couple of years too. So. Um. They 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 know they know where not, not only where you can eat well but eat cheap. Yep. And, uh the Cookout certainly lived, lived up to the hype.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one thing you can bet on a wrestler knowing is uh, how to be get by as cheaply as you can. Bobby and I knew uh, mm-hmm. knew uh, one of the the world's champions of cheapness, and that was Ted Allen. And uh, they're the only two people. Uh, cheaper than him and bobby knew uh, i never did know him but bobby knew it was joe's carpet chief J. strongbow he he uh yep. he'd squeeze a dollar till the eagle would scream and uh <laughs> angelo popham i think was the was the overall champion of, of that uh the stories of, of him he, when randy randy and uh lanny were kids uh he'd take the kids and his wife judy and they'd go to a, a place and they'd uh They'd order hot water and ketchup. That's all they wanted. They'd make their own soup. <laughs>
0: even
3: even 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 after Angelo got out of the business, they said that he would go to restaurants and he would make his wife Judy order a child's plate.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh yeah, it was. And I love I love Joe Scarpa. I was you know I, I told Michael Joe was at a very fine line between friend and acquaintance. And I'm sure I was an acquaintance. I was not that close to him on a personal level. Worked with him a lot, but he, uh, yeah, he he would make Ted Allen look like a big spender. And Ted, and Ted, Ted could, uh, Ted could squeeze that penny. <laughs>
2: But you had to learn to do that. I mean Scarper came up in time, especially since he, he spent a lot of time working for Nick Gulis. Uh, I've heard guys that, that worked for Nick Goulas that got paid a ham. You know, rather than money, they'd get a ham. <laughs> well,
3: I, uh, <laughs> uh, I I had the had the honor of speaking at Larry Cheatham's funeral uh last Saturday. Uh, Larry told the story about him and his partner in Tennessee they had been working uh, just opening preliminary matches, you know, singles matches. They called him in the office and told him, said, so we're going to make a star out of you. And said, uh, we want you to be, you're going to be working on top starting next week as a tag team. But y'all need to have an outfit with a mask. And they said, well, we don't have one. They said, well, here, and the Tennessee office was notorious for having anything imaginable. They said, you could go in the Tennessee <laughs> office. They would have, they'd have masks, outfits, ring jackets, robes, capes. Uh, uh, boxing glove, whatever was needed, and they said he told them, he said, "Well, here, just go over here and pick you out two outfits," and uh, you know. So he said they got the outfits. They said starting that Monday, they were on top in every town they worked, Monday through Saturday, and they were off on Sunday up there. And they went to the office Monday to get their bookings and pick their check up. And Larry said when they got their check, he said it was uh, there was not any money in it. There was a note in there that said, "You only owe me thirty-five more dollars. The outfits will be
5: paid for." <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got a, uh, a Madman Pondo gave me a great story about Abdul the Butcher, who's who's another guy who's notoriously notoriously cheap, but uh, he, he had, oh, yeah. uh, Abdul it, it kind of helps open the door for him to get to Japan and everything, and um, d- done done a lot for him and stuff. And so one time, Pondo had some T-shirts made up, and he had a five X specifically made for Abdul. So he goes to the show and he goes up to him and say, "Abby i I got something for you." and he's like, "Well what, what is it it's like uh I had a t-shirt made for you. and he shows him the t shirt' like is, it, is this for me are you 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 serious it's like yeah yeah i'm 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 serious, absolutely it's like i i I'm so touched i don't I don't know what to say uh, tell you what you see those t-shirts of mine over there on the table Anything you want five dollars off yep
0: uh, I yeah, another story about the, about the two I of them."
5: Go ahead. I say he had another story. They're they walking home from, from a club one night in Japan, probably about three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning and um I didn't think they'd been at a strip club and, and of course Abdullah had brought his T shirts and everything for for the girls and stuff and some guy's walking along the street and it's it's got kind of a dark street and stops and he points and says, Abdullah He says, Yeah, Abdullah the butcher? Said, yeah. A guy starts screaming, I'm doing the butcher, I'm doing the butcher and this crowd starts gathering around them on the street and everything. And Pondo's like, Abby, what do we do? He's like, Open the box, give me a t shirt. He starts selling T shirts on the streets of Japan at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like him too. Yep. Uh, yep. He talked about it. He, he would set up a table behind the bus. He'd set up a table behind the bus where the, where the promoters couldn't see him in Japan, too, because he wasn't allowed to sell shirts at the shows. But, uh, you know, he would, uh, actually, when I, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame when I went to WrestleMania for WrestleMania 27. And we later found out as soon as he got back to the hotel, he set up a table and put out a little sign, autographs, 10 bucks, right in the lobby of the hotel.
2: <laughs> well, guys, we are down to, uh, just a couple of minutes left. Uh, John, let them know again, uh, where they can, can, uh, find your array of, of books and, and anything else, or any other projects that you've got going on and, then uh, can get in touch with
5: you and everything. Sure. Well, if anybody's excited to call a alley club, I'll be in the nostalgia room with Dr. D. We'll be sharing a table. Um, my website is eat sleep, That's my wrestling wrestling website. I uh, also have JohnCosper.com. com. That's where you can find all my fiction and, and some of my old films and other stuff like that. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at John Cosper. You can find Eat Sleep Wrestle on Facebook as well, and, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Cosper. And all the books are available on Amazon. com if you want to go search for me. Uh, and actually, I have a couple of fiction titles available this weekend for free on Kindle. So if you're if you're a Kindle reader and you happen to be on Amazon this weekend, uh, take a look and. Um, I'll have uh, five or six of them all for free this weekend
2: Sounds great Well I appreciate you joining us and anytime uh, as I tell every guest on here once you've been on here you've got a home here anytime you want to join us uh, let me know Uh, any projects you've got going on that you'd like to spread the word about let me know and we'll uh, we'll be be thrilled to have you back on with us but this has been great Yeah, I I, certainly uh, appreciate it Not a problem at all Not a problem says it's, it's not enough yeah, people but, that, uh, you know, people like uh, Jim Mitchell and everything that are there without people like you spreading the word about them, they're lost to history. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a shame. And you know, somebody told for, for the, 25 years a enough, lot of great stories things and, that, that they know, did.
5: But, yep. I'm, I'm determined to find the people well, that absolutely. still have the stories so we can preserve them.
0: Yeah.
5: Well, I appreciate it for once. Uh but
2: uh, there again, uh, like I said, any time you wanna, want to want uh, to join us on the show, just reach out to me and let me know, and uh, we'll be glad to have you on again. But this has been great. I, I, I appreciate you doing this with us tonight.
3: Yeah, I've enjoyed hey, it. Thank Look you so much for
5: the invite. Absolutely. Look forward to meeting you. And
2: uh, All right. Well, again, I thank you. And, Bobby, I guess uh, we'll do uh, plan our next one uh, after you get back from Vegas and uh, our next show. And uh, our listeners out there, just uh, keep up with uh, our – Facebook page. second Thursday, uh,
3: Michael, because I don't get back until, like, the fourth, and that's after okay. the first
2: one. All right? All righty. Well, I, we'll let everybody know when our next show will be, and uh, we'll get together and do this one more time. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, guys.
0: We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to
1: you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to Georgia Rest on com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.